Hi there. I'm so excited to welcome you to the Arthritis Life Podcast, where we share arthritis life stories and tips for thriving with autoimmune arthritis. My name is Cheryl Crow, and I am passionate about helping people navigate real life with arthritis beyond joint pain. I've been living with rheumatoid arthritis for 20 years, and I'm also a mom, occupational therapist, video creator, support group leader, and I created the Room to Thrive self-management program. I am so excited to help you live a more empowered life with arthritis. We're going to cover everything from kitchen life hacks to navigating the healthcare system to coping with friends who just don't get it. Seriously, no topic is going to be off limits on this podcast. My interviewees and I share our honest stories of how chronic illness affects our lives. This includes discussions about mental health, sex, shame, pregnancy, body image, advocacy, self-acceptance, and so much more. You'll hear stories from all ends of the spectrum, from a person who's living in Medicaid remission from psoriatic arthritis to somebody living with severe mobility restrictions and severe pain from rheumatoid arthritis. You'll hear how people manage their conditions in different ways, like medications, mindfulness, movement, social support, work accommodations, and so much more. You'll also hear from rheumatology experts who just get it. We'll dive deep into the science behind chronic pain and what's the latest evidence for lifestyle changes that can help you thrive with arthritis, including exercise, sleep, nutrition, stress reduction, and more. This is your chance to sit down and chat with a friend who's been there. Ready to figure out how to manage your arthritis life? Let's get started. I'm so excited to have Kate here today to share her experience with psoriatic arthritis. Welcome, Kate. Hello. Thank you. Thank you for having me. Yeah. Thank can you, for you the just... opportunity. <laughs> oh, I'm so, I know. I'm so, so excited. And can you just tell the audience a brief introduction, like where you live and what your relationship to arthritis is? Yes. So I grew up in Italy, but I've been living in London for 12 years now. Um, and I've been diagnosed with thoracic arthritis uh, a bit less than two years ago. Uh, and yeah, it's been a journey uh, yeah. and ups and downs. And I think now the final diagnosis is thoracic arthritis, osteoarthritis, osteopenia, and they're still looking into, uh, I have some gut problems, so they're looking into, it might be Crohn's disease, they're not quite sure doing some tests but um yeah on the right path to to yeah get just get better yeah yeah and that's a that's a lot of diagnoses to, to have to <laughs> adjust to in a short period yeah. of time um can you tell me a little bit more about like two years ago you know what was happening before you got diagnosed was it hard to get diagnosed or was it easy and just walk us through a little bit of that. <laughs> yeah, so I think for me, it was very difficult to kind of think that my symptoms were related to a disease rather than my lifestyle. Uh, for me, especially like being a chef, it was kind of a given to be always in pain, be always exhausted and fatigued. Uh, when I started, I started being a chef about 15 years ago. <clears throat> and back then it was, very hardcore you know on my feet for 18 hours a day um carrying weights 
chopping, slicing, you know, of course your hands are going to hurt, of course you're going to feel pain in your back and, and your feet. Um, and back then the kitchen is, was kind of very old school, so but don't complain, keep your head down. Everybody's in pain, everybody's feeling what you're feeling, but don't share kind of situation. Right. So, and I also I think I wasn't ready for being my own advocate and kind of saying, oh no, there is definitely something wrong with me, I need to, to see a doctor. And it was only kind of in my early 30s that I decided to change my lifestyle. <clears throat> and so kind of try to work a bit less and having a more sustainable uh, work-life balance. And even then, I realized the symptoms didn't change that much. I was still very fatigued, I was in pain. And especially in my hands, I have, um, it started mostly in my hands and my fingers are slightly deformed and they're getting worse with time. So that's kind of when I realized, okay, there's something else going on. Um, and then there was, I think with lockdown, mm-hmm. I think everybody had the time to kind of stop, slow down and stop thinking uh, our priorities. So I, I realized, you know, during lockdown, I was at home, I was eating healthy, I was cooking all my meals. I was exercising, there wasn't the stress of work. Of course, there was the stress of a pandemic, but still there was some pain there. So it was only then that I decided to see a doctor. Um, so obviously during a pandemic, it was very difficult to see a doctor. So it was all through video calls. Uh, so with a general practitioner, uh, I saw her on video call and because of the symptoms and family history as well. So my cousin has geriatric arthritis. So she ran all the usual tests, you know, blood tests, uh, rheumatoid factor and all of that. And nothing really came out. Mm. So the only thing was I had very, very low vitamin D. Um, I was deficient in that. So that was kind of the only thing. Um, but then she said, you know, since the family history and since all your symptoms are there, uh, I will refer you to a rheumatologist. So I got referred. good, yeah. Yeah, I got referred, but it was kind of still pandemic time. So I didn't hear anything for months. Then I got a letter for an appointment and it was due like four months later. And by that time, I was in a very, very bad pain um yeah I was very much in pain I again I started working I lost my job my previous job because of COVID so that was very stressful for me and I was struggling to find a job obviously with you know the hospitality industry was just destroyed yeah (laughs) it was a very tough time so with my new job it was it was a quite a tough one and I was very stressed very much in pain and I just couldn't take it anymore so I just didn't have it Oh, yeah. No, no problem. Yeah. this. So, yeah. I can't imagine having your first um, diagnosis experience, you know, during the pandemic. It's just, it was a very stressful time for everyone. So yeah. I feel for you. <laughs> so, yeah, I just couldn't take it. And I, I, I remember going back home from work and I, I wasn't able to hold the fork with my hand. It was so painful. I couldn't move it. And I was just crying in pain. So I decided to see a private rheumatologist. 
because mm. that was the only way that it was going to be like a lot quicker and I did get an appointment within days oh wow so yeah it was really good and obviously paid a lot of money but it was yeah. definitely worth it um I, I just needed some some help and and some answers quickly and um this doctor was really helpful he realized straight away what was going on you know with all the symptoms family history and so he booked other tests and he booked an ultrasound again nothing everything was good ultrasound didn't show any information he explained and he said you know there are different types of arthritis and not all of them can show and if you don't have information at that specific moment it might not show and he decided to start with uh, hydroxychloroquine straight away and also on corticosteroids, so on prednisolone, just to help me with the pain. And that was really helpful. I was, I mean, I didn't sleep for <laughs> a few weeks. And right, yeah. <laughs> I was full of energy, <laughs> which was amazing. Uh, yeah. And I was pain-free, so that was, that was a bit different experience. But yeah, it was good. Uh, and then... It was about two months I was uh, taking um, hydroxychloroquine and nothing happened. And by then I had the appointment with my with the uh, national health uh, rheumatologist. And so the private rheumatologist basically said, you know, the next step would be going methotrexate, but it's just so much easier for you to do it through the um, national health rheumatologist mm-hmm. because you will have to do all the blood tests. And if you go privately, it's gonna obviously like cost a lot, a lot of money. So mm-hmm. wait, what they say, wait to see what they say. But you know, if I can be of any help, um, just let me know. Uh, so then, when I had my first appointment with the rheumatologist, it was kind of starting from zero again, obviously, because mm-hmm. they were like, you realize you had kind of you've seen someone else, you've been diagnosed, um, but we kind of we we will take that but we will need to run all the tests again. So all the tests were run again, ultrasound, x-ray, everything. Mm -hmm. (laughs) Wow. You'd think they wouldn't. Yeah, that's interesting. (laughs) Yeah. So, yeah, it was just starting from zero. So it was a bit frustrating for me just to run through all this. I mean, it was was fine, but, you know, it was just like, can we please find a solution? Because uh, I was I was still in, in a lot of pain, and obviously prednisolone you can't take for a long period of time. So. Oh yeah, um, and I just I just want to add a quick little piece of context mm-hmm. for those listening that you know one of the kind of cruel ironies of these diseases is that um, they tend to take a long time to get diagnosed for like systemic healthcare issues, whether that's in the UK or the US, where there's you know um, long wait times. Um, for rheumatologists, there's a rheumatologist shortage in the United States. That's really, really bad for pediatric rheumatologists. And then, but the, all of the data and research shows that the earlier you get diagnosed and treated, the better your long-term prognosis. So it's kind of a rude uh, awakening or another cruel irony when people finally, when, if you do more research on your condition, you learn that there can be a feeling of, oh my gosh, like I suffered unnecessarily in the sense that like, if we could turn back the clock and like, if you could have gotten that diagnosis, you know what I mean? And I know you can torture yourself thinking like that. So I'm not (laughs) encouraging people to think that way, but I'm saying for those listening who maybe don't have a diagnosis yet, like 
there are a lot of objective reasons to be really aggressive about getting a diagnosis because the earlier you get accurately diagnosed and treated, the the better just objectively across the board. So anyway, just throwing that yeah, out absolutely. as like a teachable yeah. moment. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. And I realized with the private rheumatologist, I thought like he was like, let's stop now. Like, like let's let's not waste any time. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, different story with uh, NHS rheumatologist. Who, I mean, they were lovely, but obviously on their side, they needed to have all the data um, <clears throat> to make sure there wasn't something else. Well, and, so, and just again, for those uh, in the United States listening or other places, NHS is the nationalized uh, yeah. healthcare in the UK, or is it UK or all across the board? UK, yeah. Okay, mm-hmm. okay, yeah. Yeah, yeah. Okay, so um, they ran the test again. They ran the test, yeah. So and um, everything came back normal again. Um, so I get a call from the rheumatologist and she's like, yeah, so everything is normal. But again, you know, your symptoms are all there, the family history. And- so just to be sure, I want to do uh, MRI of your hands because I can see there's deformity there as well. And so finally, MRI came back and there was uh, erosions in my hands and which um, erosions that showed it was inflammatory arthritis. And in my left hand, I had osteoarthritis as well. Mm-hmm. So they said, OK, yes, this is you're being diagnosed with psoriatic arthritis so you did I dropped I dropped chloroquine already mm-hmm. so we're going to start your methotrexate so then that journey started and I think for me at the beginning it was denial in a sense of maybe like protecting myself yeah. to like realize what was really going on because mm-hmm. I remember my partner he's like wow you're like you're amazing like you're taking this so well like you're like you're so strong and I was like yeah because I don't believe it <laughs> but oh, I didn't yeah. say anything so everybody was like okay she's very cool about this and it was like one month in two months in three months in and then I think starting methotrexate and the side effects and I had a massive flare-up as well in the middle mm. and then I kind of realized okay this is real and and then from denial it was kind of depression anxiety of you know what's going to happen what does this mean what how am I going to live you know also with my work being chef um I was reading you know all these sad stories and you know there's disability there's you know um reduced movement and I could see my hands, which, and I was just get panicking a little bit. Yeah. And so, yeah. Yeah. So, <laughs> no, I think this is such, it's such a fascinating dichotomy because I remember, I remember in one of the first Room to Thrive group um, meetings we had, a lot of people were saying they felt, they felt weird for being in denial because they're like, I understand that I have this enough that I'm here. Like I've joined this program, but I also like in the back of my head, I'm like, do I really have it? And I think there's like this, like, I, I really identify with what you're saying about it being protective because on the one hand, if you, if you're in denial, that means that you don't have to accept this long-term chronic condition. <laughs> but if you accept it, there's like, there's benefits and downsides of both, right? Cause if you accept it, 
then you open yourself up to there's a reason for your pain and there's a path to improving your pain and improving your condition through, you know, medication and lifestyle. And um, whereas I think for me, what was what protected me from going fully into denial is that, well, okay, if it's not rheumatoid arthritis, then I'm back to square one with pain with no answers. And that was the worst. So I don't know, did you feel any of that where it was like, did you feel any relief at all to have an official diagnosis or was it all just swirling? I think for one part, yes. And I realized that when it was taken away from me recently, when I had my follow-up appointments um, a couple of months ago because obviously all of the classic medications weren't working and I had an um, allergic reaction with sulfasalazine as well. Yeah. So then the rheumatologist at our appointment, she was like, oh, maybe it's not cirrhotic arthritis. Maybe we need to go back to square one and rethink everything. And that was when I, I was like, no, no, don't take this away from me. Like, you gave me a name of what this is. And I need, I need a name. I need to, to know yeah. what all my symptoms are and what is, yes. you know, what can help and what uh, are the treatments for it. So, yeah, I think the, the, the time that it was kind of taken away from me. And then, obviously, like, it was. I did an ultrasound after that just recently and I, I, I did have inflammation so that the diagnosis was reconfirmed again um no but, but yeah it was yeah sorry, no yeah. sorry no no you keep going keep going <laughs> yeah I think it was just um it's a, it's a long process um yeah. I think I you know all these steps of grief and like denial depression anxiety mm-hmm. you I think especially like being in your group and and realizing that everybody goes through them is in a way comforting and it it gives you the confidence to move forward Mm -hmm. and yeah that's that's what helped me the most I think realizing that I wasn't alone and there are other people that are living that or have lived and have gone through denial and depression and anxiety and it's a circle in a way you go back to it you know you have mm-hmm. a some bad news you have a bad appointment with your rheumatologist and and, it, and it's fine but it's as you say you have you get all the tools in your box and yeah. to be able to kind of accept and to know what works best for you mm-hmm. and how to move forward and that yeah like getting all the tools was the process to accept um what I had, I think. Yeah. Yeah. It, so often I think that we can see patterns in other people better than we see them in ourselves. Right. So like if you're experiencing kind of an issue of like ping ponging back and forth between denial and then kind of anxiety about the condition that you're not in denial about anymore. <laughs> and then you ping pong back and forth. You can see when you're in a group setting, you see other people go through that and it's much easier to identify it in someone else. And then also be like, well, wait a minute, I'm also going through that. It's almost like you work backwards, you know? Um, so, but, but, uh, oh shoot, I was going to say something else. My train of thought, just <laughs> the train of thought left the station. <laughs> I don't remember what that was, but, um, but 
but yeah, I mean, I'm so glad you joined the group, but I do think people sometimes will say like, oh, well, I don't really have a diagnosis yet, or I'm not sure my diagnosis is correct. And so much of what we go over in Room to Thrive is these tools to deal with ambiguity and cope with ambiguity, cope with ups and downs, cope with the fact that you don't know what's going to happen tomorrow necessarily. Um, and so that's, you know, um, you're not the first person in the group for, for better, or for worse, that has had their diagnosis, um, kind of questioned by their medical team or reassessed. And, um, you know, when this happened to another person, it got changed from rheumatoid to ankylosing spondylitis. It was like, I tried to kind of, um, help give context to the conversation by saying, you know, validating your emotions, but also saying long-term, it is really important to have an accurate diagnosis because you want to give the right treatment at the right time. So even if it's like, there's a mourning process when your diagnosis has changed, it's in your best interest to have the right, you know, diagnosis. So anyway, (laughs) but, um, yeah, like I know that you have a lot of, a lot of tools in your toolbox. So, um, you know, you mentioned to room to thrive and what are some of the other like tools that have helped you with the coping and the emotional ups and downs? Yeah, so I think when I when I made contact with you, I was kind of in, in the deepest, darkest, um, mm. yeah, <laughs> the darkest place. And um, it was it, it came at such a perfect time because you were starting the, the course like within a week, I think. So that was oh, wow. very useful. Yeah, it was like, oh, okay, yeah, I need to sign in, like sign me in straight away. All so right. that was great. And in the meantime, I was also doing um, – mindfulness meditation course yeah yeah um, which I came across um through this lady who in London and she's a hypnotherapist and a meditation practitioner Mm -hmm. very lovely person and yeah I was having a tough time um with depression and I was reading about hypnotherapist and I was like okay it's interesting I want to I was very curious so I went to see her and I had a few sessions with her and she said, you know, you have all your tools to kind of go through this. And I think what would really work for you is meditation. Mm. And so, again, she then started a course a few months later, uh, which she does like every year, uh, this mindfulness uh, meditation course. And is uh, similar to what uh, we did. So it's like a Zoom meeting with uh, four other people. And she kind of teaches and explains what uh, meditation is, um, the different types of meditation. And it was very hard for me at the beginning mm. because, yeah, I think for everybody, you think, you know, meditation is about, I need to erase all my thoughts, yeah. I need to, you know, cross legs. And, and of course, it's not like that at all. And it's not about removing all the stress and all the anxiety is, Sometimes it's also about acceptance. Um, mm-hmm. So that was a very, and I realized now after months and practicing and practicing, it's getting much better. And is not necessarily that I meditate every day, but I'm being, I think, a bit more mindful in general. Right. Um, but like with CBT as well, like I've learned now my three favorite words are acceptance, compassion, and kindness. They're kind oh. of, I always try to have those words in my mind because uh, mm-hmm. I realize they're very useful for me. 
yeah. so acceptance like I mean we talked uh, about it in the group as well and just you know accepting that you know sometimes the pain is there and we have to go through it and you know get some help with our different tools with our gloves with the mm-hmm. you know feeling relaxing um and for me it was accepting that stress is there yeah Obviously, that's so I did, hard <laughs> I did modify like being a chef unfortunately is a very stressful environment is very hectic yeah, yeah. Um, so I did kind of mold and try to change my work to make it more yeah a bit less stressful let's say but yeah. there is you know even the world we're living is it's just difficult to you can't remove the stress from from your life and from this world unfortunately yeah. so it's more yeah now I'm more like okay yes this is stressful this is a stressful situation but either I can use my tools to to work on it or I just accept it and yeah, then, yeah and I was gonna say so as a very like goal-oriented person I think if you only look at stress reduction then if you have any like maybe I'm just being a perfectionist but I'm like if my goal is to reduce stress then if I have any remaining stress after I do my tools, I've like failed, right? Because my, I still have stress and the goal is to reduce stress or eliminate stress. Whereas if you're like, my goal is to cope better with the stress, it actually long-term does reduce the stress. It's the same with like the happiness trap or like you're actually happier when you stop trying to be happy all the time and thinking that your life should be just pure happiness one moment after the other. So um, I don't know if that resonates with you at all. <laughs> yeah absolutely absolutely and yeah. that was the problem for me in the beginning it was like I need to eliminate it I need to you know get rid of all the stress in my life and yeah, yeah. that just makes it a lot more stressful yeah know, yeah and I think that there are conditions like life is an inherently stressful endeavor right <laughs> and there's never been yeah. a time in like human history that life is I mean maybe actually I, sh- I should be culturally if I'm culturally competent here and I remember my anthropology training there are cultures that that do have a lot more like rest in their day, you know, like different parts of the world, there's cultures that have evolved, you know, uh, where people are like, they have leisure time and they, so it's not that everyone is like inherently as stressed as like the modern Western world is, but, um, but in general saying that, okay, you know, we have our brains at least according to a lot of the research I've read is that our brains are kind of wired towards, um, paying more attention to negative events than positive events because negative events and negative possibilities are the ones that have more of an effect on our survival and that survival is like our main goal, you know, right, as species. So um, like to survive and to propagate your genes, right? So anyway, long story short, like, yeah, setting a realistic goal that like, I I understand that stress is not good for me, that it's inflammatory. It's not good if you're living with an, with an inflammatory condition like psoriatic arthritis, but also saying, I also accept that stress is pretty much inevitable most days. And then you'll be pleasantly surprised if it doesn't occur one day, but that, you know, I'm going to have a better quality of life if I can cope with the existing stress. So, but I think, yeah, being a chef, I always say when people get diagnosed, they're like, you know, or people will say like, what are the worst jobs to have or the hardest jobs to have <laughs> if you have like um, any sort of inflammatory arthritis that affects the hands. Um, and I would say like being a massage therapist and like a chef are like two of the hardest ones. So 
If you have ever felt completely lost or utterly alone while trying to navigate real life with rheumatic disease, listen up, I am here for you. I created an educational program to help you go from overwhelmed to confident, supported and connected in a matter of weeks. And it's called Room to Thrive. After earning a master's in occupational therapy and completing hundreds of hours of additional training, I created a step-by-step guide to help you truly thrive with rheumatic disease. This is the only program I know of that's designed to improve quality of life for people living with inflammatory autoimmune forms of arthritis, like rheumatoid arthritis, psoriatic arthritis, ankylosing spondylitis, non-radiographic axial spondyloarthritis, Sjogren's disease, and more. During the self-paced lessons, you'll learn how to manage pain and fatigue, cope with stress, navigate relationships, and continue doing the things that matter to you and bring you joy. The goal is really to help you improve your quality of life and learn how to thrive with your rheumatic disease right now, rather than waiting for a distant day when it might be cured or healed. I really created the down-to-earth, practical, heartfelt resource I wish I had had when I was first diagnosed at age 20. If you want even more in-depth support, you can join the 12-week Room to Thrive virtual support group where you'll be surrounded by people who actually get what you're going through, people who will provide the encouragement, validation, and support that you deserve. Each group is expertly moderated, so you don't have to worry about the kind of misinformation that spreads like wildfire in the free-for-all social media groups. If you're on the fence, don't just take my word for it. Here's what Katie had to say in March, 2023. I was lost and overwhelmed with my RA diagnosis. It felt overwhelming to know what to read, what to do, how to spend my energy trying to research on the internet. Room to Thrive did that for me. It's been like getting a crash course in my diagnosis along with a community who gets it. To see all the details, including the dates for the next support groups, go to the link in the show notes or bit.ly slash thrive room with a capital T in capital R. You can also just email me anytime at info at myarthritislife.net. And don't delay if you're interested because each group is capped at 16 people or less in order to make a small, intimate group atmosphere. Thanks so much for your time. And I can't wait to get started with the next groups. And I can't wait for those of you who are interested in the self-paced option to go ahead and join that at any time. Bye-bye for now. Um, but sorry, I, I, I did want to ask you more about your like hacks that you've learned as a chef, but did you want to say anything more about like, um, you know, the mindfulness practice and CBT and like what's helped you mentally? Yeah, I think think CBT, um, was very helpful as well because, um, I had therapy before I had like a long-term relationship with a therapist it was like six years and Mm. in the past I went through depression for a while and anxiety so Mm -hmm. and that was very useful but it was kind of like very deep therapy you know going Mm. through all your traumas and and I realized at this time that's not what I needed Mm -hmm. um I needed something more practical a bit more structure as well in what can be useful for me with Mm. you know having a new diagnosis and cbt i think was really really good for me uh so oh it stands um, for cognitive behavior therapy by the way i always try to remember to define (laughs) the acronyms sorry i completely forgot yeah yeah Um, no it's yeah so yeah it was it was very helpful and 
I'm quite visual so, and I love my lists. I love to write things down. Mm -hmm. So being able to write things down and and also she talked a lot about um, images. So when you have a negative thought, what do you see? What are the images? Mm -hmm. And that was incredibly helpful for me. Interesting, and, yeah. And for example, also, um, I remember having this image and like being a puzzle. So a puzzle, you know, you put it together, but it can be very fragile because all the pieces can kind of fall. So if you didn't have like a table top to keep it on, it kind right. of falls apart. So it was kind of say so one piece falls down and every piece is like one piece is stressed and one of these knows an argument with your partner or and kind of everything when more than one piece fall is more difficult to put the pieces back together right. in a way so she was saying the right so you you have a bad day at work you're stressed you had an argument with your partner you know there's different things going on and it kind of you all bring it together in one big thing Mm -hmm. and actually dividing it so for example situation one you know a stressful moment at work how can I work with that do I accept it do I work on it mm -hmm. do I have you know five minutes meditation a bit of breathing whatever and so dividing it makes it less um overwhelming for me yes, at least it yeah. works really well so yeah that was really useful yeah, and I, I I also like the idea of naming things, just the act of naming it, like this mm -hmm. is my anxiety about my work, or this is my, you know, and separating it out so it's less like swirling and overwhelming. Um, that's that's super, super helpful. And I do think it's a good lesson that like different therapists at different times in your life and different styles of therapy, like one-on-one -on -one individualized therapy can be useful in different ways right so you know maybe you were saying you're you, right now the right thing for you was you know a more practical kind of logical approach like cbt versus previously you needed like a more a different a different kind of trauma based approach or you know and i think that that therapy is not just one thing right and even physical therapy occupation no therapy is is just one thing there's an art and a science so it really is for those listening I know I've said this a million times but you know um if it's maybe it's your first episode but <laughs> that you know you it is normal to have to you know interview a couple of therapists or you know take a little while to find a good fit for you and that's just because you don't like the first one you talk to doesn't mean you should um quit or say that therapy is not for you you know <laughs> yeah exactly it takes time and as I say for different people there's different kind of therapies in different situations in life and you can take the time I mean it took me a while to find one mm -hmm. that I could relate to mm -hmm. so you know you have but it kind of as soon as you find the right one I think you, you realize straight away and you kind of click and that's what important because you're going to say you know some very personal things um, yeah. so you need to you need to feel comfortable with that person absolutely yeah yeah, yeah. And um, before we talk about, I really want to get more into the chef stuff as well, but I'm going to go back actually to, you were saying that you found Room to Thrive, like initially you're, you found it within a week of when it was going to, the next, you know, um, group was going to start, but you also were saying it was kind of like a low point for you. Like, 
what were some of the thoughts that were swirling in your head at, at that time? If you can remember, I know it's probably painful to go back. <laughs> yeah, I think it was, yeah, it was that time that I was in methotrexate. So I had really bad, the bad side effects and I had a flare up. I was very busy at work, very stressed. Mm-hmm. So it was kind of everything put together. And I just remember, I think it was also, did we start, it was April we started. Yes. So, yeah. yeah. So here was like the weather was really awful. It was raining all the time. It was really dark. Mm-hmm. So it was a kind of I have you know these images of everything being very dark, and I I just couldn't find answers. You know, mm-hmm. you go through your research from Google, and but it's all data. Like you know, there's no there's not much. Of course, I did, I wasn't on social media at the time, so that mm-hmm. is well I couldn't. I didn't have that sense of community. I was watching a few YouTube videos um, okay. of people like telling their experience, but it was, I couldn't find much. And probably because I didn't have the tools and I didn't understand how mm. to get to people. And I think not having social media is also a, a big part, you know, you kind mm. of, it's difficult to create a community. Um, yeah. So yeah, I think it, it just came at the perfect time. And it you know when you you have moments when you're going to be really confused and you're going to be feeling very alone very lonely because your loved ones of course they're there and they try to help you you know I'm I'm lucky I have my partner and he's been so supportive so so amazing because I can be very grumpy when (laughs) (laughs) I'm so glad you have that you deserve that (laughs) (laughs) thank you but yeah, you, you you do feel the need to have someone that is feeling what you're feeling and to just just to listen and hear that someone went through yeah, went through that and it's yeah, is very uh comforting and calming. Yeah. And also like being able to learn everything that you teach is is very it was very helpful. Because I think I mean, we said, you know, knowledge is power and also being able to advocate for yourself and being able to go to your rheumatology appointments and know what you're talking about. I think mm. I I've, I always was used to being very passive, like mm. the doctors, this authority, and I can't say anything, you know, I can't con- contradict them. Um, mm. But then you, you want to have that knowledge to be able to say, no, excuse me, like, I need this to be explained again. Why is this, you know, why are you doing this and not this? You know, it is, again, it's going to be a long relationship with them. Mm-hmm. So you want it to be mm-hmm. equal. And I think to be able to be equal, you need to have that knowledge. Yeah, yeah. And I, it really is interesting. Like I've seen that so many times in the group because um, I've done it, you know, over a few years now, but where people will, they're scared to talk to their doctor about something or bring up a question that they have and that encouragement from the other members and the knowledge that you're going to have to report back to them, like, okay, next meeting, like, let us know how it goes. Like that can be that extra nudge, you know, or just hearing, I mean, like you really advocated for yourself when you, you had a, a kind of not great interaction with your, you know, primary doctor, primary rheumatologist, sorry. <laughs> um, and then, you know, I'll, some people in the group, or sorry, is it okay if I tell them the story? Are you, yeah, you yeah, 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 I was going to say as well. 
Yeah, well, I'll just set the stage a little bit, but I'll say yeah. from my experience, if you have a, a not great interaction with your health provider, a lot of times people will say, get a second opinion. And that's actually what I was kind of leaning t- towards suggesting or suggesting you think about in your case. But um, the other option is to commute, to talk to the provider and like seek a resolution or seek a repairing of that relationship Um, which that's, there's so many benefits to that because that provider has your knowledge of your case. If you get a second opinion, you're starting from square one. Again, again, a lot of times second opinions are warranted and and necessary, but, but yeah, tell, tell me a little bit about how that, like how you got the courage to advocate for yourself and go back to that provider. Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. So I think it was, it was incredibly useful for me to share it with the group and to get all the different opinions also to have someone that was going through this I had gone through the same thing so being diagnosed twice and having a different diagnosis the second time um and yeah just getting all the advice and and kind of the courage to to do something about it so yeah for me initially I thought yeah I'm going to get a second opinion but in the UK a second opinion means again paying a private rheumatologist and I just and I started thinking, I said, okay, this primary rheumatologist, I'm going to see her for a while. I, I want to create a good relationship. And I want her to understand that she needs to explain things to me, like, properly. Like. And I realized also, in a way, you know, healthcare is overwhelmed. We said this before. And they're going, you know, they're seeing so many patients a day and sometimes it just get mechanic probably, you know, okay, this 20 minutes appointment, next, 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 next. And you don't think about the compassionate element, about being kind because you just have so much to do. And I, I do appreciate that completely. So I decided to send her an email with basically saying, you know, I our last appointment left me very confused and said I don't understand what's going on and all the points that I didn't understand and what for me made sense what didn't and she came back to me very quickly which was surprising and she was very nice in, in the email and then in our next appointment about a month later like she was very different and she was very compassionate very kind and she explained everything she treated me like an equal mm. and and yeah I think the relationship kind of um turned and she realized that I was not gonna take you know just simple answers and without you know without any explanation so yeah I think it's definitely it's, it's very important to if you're not sure about something if something is not clear don't don't be scared and and I always been very scared as well in in rheumatology appointment like I I have 20 minutes uh there's going to be someone else I I was always very anxious that I couldn't take too much time because there was someone else waiting after me um but you know it is your time and you do have the right to be there and to have your doctor explain everything to you absolutely no that's so that's such a good um teachable moment, I guess, for everyone else. I keep saying that phrase lately, but, and I think, you know, in, in this case, it, it wasn't just that the rheumatologist hadn't like explained things in a way that you could understand, but that I think if I remember correctly, that you kind of felt like 
emotionally, there was like a dismissal of you, like, like, or an, a lack of understanding that, you know, if they were going to potentially like change your diagnosis or question your diagnosis, like that, that's a huge deal for you. Right. As opposed to just looking at it is this kind of like, oh yeah, well now we're not really sure. Cause you haven't responded well to meds, but you know, and just, okay, fine. Bye. You know, like this kind of like yeah. very like in unhumane kind of conversation. And it's like, you both win when you get to have a better conversation, right. When you get to have a conversation of mutual respect and, and, you know, um, and I think it was really wise that you, um, it's really in your best interest to have a good relationship with the provider and, and your healthcare providers. And, you know, a lot of times we can get, there are definitely cases where people need to quote unquote fire their doctor. I'm not, you know, going to say that that's never appropriate. It definitely can be, but sometimes because we feel so as a patient, you are not in the power position, right? To they, the, at the end of the day, no matter how strong the partnership is, um, the, the doctor has the power to write a prescription. You don't have that power. You, you know, so, um, it's, it, oh, sorry. I was, I had like five different thoughts, but what, there's, it's in your best interest to have um, a great relationship with them. And, oh yeah, because you don't have power often as, as a patient, you can feel like I'm going to assert my power by firing you as my provider. And it feels good in the moment. And again, it is a hundred percent necessary. In some cases, there are providers that are not good, that are not a good fit for you, or just not competent or not caring. And, but uh, if you have one only a, a smaller kind of bad re- bad appointment, it there's also the possibility that you'll actually get what you want by repairing that relationship as opposed to throwing out all that background relationship that you had with them and starting from scratch. Um, so um, again, I mean, there's so much. One of the best things about social media is that we can encourage each other and support each other and you know find community and not feel alone on just the kind of organic level of like the mass social media out there, right. Which is full of like a lot of great things, a lot of bad things. But one of the downsides is that I've seen is sometimes there are people who are like, you need to fire that doctor. You need to, and it's like, Ooh, wait, slow down a little bit. Um, again, because, and I'm not saying that in a way, because like, it's not nice to do that. I'm saying that because you might get what you want by staying with that doctor. Um, there's a possible, that's a you know, possibility anyway. So longer way of saying what you just said in a way <laughs> no but yeah exactly like you yeah because sometimes it feels so good to fire your doctor but then yeah. you will have to start from scratch again and and sometimes it's the only solution as you say but sometimes it's is communication is the key yeah and sometimes is just with communicating well you can achieve what you need so, yeah. Yeah. And I think, you know, um, starting from a point of curiosity, you know, I think that's in that book of like mm-hmm. the seven habits of highly effective people, like be curious. Like I'm curious, like when you said this, it felt like this, is that what you meant? Because, mm-hmm. and that's a good kind of conflict resolution skill in general, because often there's like a, a double, like there's something your paths are getting crossed, you know, like, for example, I've seen, again, this is maybe going on a tangent about social media, but I've seen people say, well, the doctor didn't diagnose me. So they suck or whatever. And it's like, well, maybe they're because an accurate diagnosis is really important. Um, 
then they're saying, I, I want to, I want the best for you. And I don't think that your symptoms meet the criteria, let's say for an inflammatory arthritis diagnosis. And I took a vow to first do no harm. And if I give you methotrexate, I could potentially do harm if that's not what your body needs right now. Right. Um, and I think, we are like, if what I, we have an idea as a patient, this is what I need. I need the diagnosis. I need the meds. I need the treatment. I need the validation, but the doctor might be like, I want to give them what they need. And what they need is they need a referral to another specialist to make sure that this is the right thing for them. But I've seen people say, Oh, they just passed me off to another specialist. Like they don't want to deal with me anymore, but actually passing you another specialist could be a sign of respecting that specialist authority. Do you know what I mean? Like it's all like this perception game, you know? And so, um, starting with curiosity rather than judgment on both parts, on the doctor's part, not judging us thinking that we're hypochondriacs or whatnot. And then on our part, understanding that maybe the doctor does have your best interests at heart. And maybe what you think is the goal of this appointment is not what's actually in your best interest. (sighs) Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Is that one <laughs> <laughs> Yeah. And as humans, like we we or we we have negative thoughts, like it is is in our nature thing to have to have these movies of like the, the worst case scenario always. Yes. Uh but yeah, as you say, curiosity and like not judgmental. I mean like, okay, this is what I receive, but maybe what she was saying is completely different or maybe I need to yeah it's just yeah just not to to try not to have all those negative thoughts is is definitely helpful yeah assuming positive intent you know and you can actually end up like kill them killing them with kindness sometimes be like I'm sorry like I know you probably like were you know that a a b c you know you were probably trying to do like this amazing thing but I I'm feeling really confused and I'm sorry, like kind of like, and again, that's my personality to be a little more like, um, you know, deaf, what's the thing like deferential at times, which is weird. Cause I'm also like a fierce advocate, but anyway, um, you know, but I'm like, I find it's in my favor to be deferential sometimes to say like, I know that you already explained this, but can you tell me again, like, why do I need to fail this medicine before starting the biologic or something, you know, like saying kind of like, not in a, not in a confrontational way in a more like, can you just explain this to me? Um, you might get more bang for your buck. <laughs> yeah. Is that an American yeah. phrase? <laughs> more bang for your buck? Or yeah, so, yeah. Oh, okay. Yeah, more, more stuff for your stuff. I don't know. <laughs> yeah. More, uh, <laughs> better outcome for smaller amount of effort. (laughs) But okay, now we're going to talk about being a chef because, you know, um, people have to cook even if they're not chefs, but, you know, so people do, you know, kitchen life hacks is like, I would consider like the low hanging fruit for me. Like when I make videos, it's like, it's one that in the sense that everyone is asking about this and everyone wants information, like cutting with knives, holding a fork, like you said, so many fine motor skills and small hand skills involved. Um, what are some of the things that have helped you maybe work around strategies or gadgets? Throw it out. <laughs> um, uh, so I did, I did see a hand therapist because I was struggling quite a lot um, at work. And 
what was very helpful um, was kind of using your hands rather than your fingers to hold stuff. And if you're carrying a pot with both hands, um, knives, I still use my knife because uh, it's just, yeah, for a chef, it's difficult to <laughs> um, Yeah. But I am in a very good position that I am the head chef. So I can tell others what to do in a way. So, because there are certain things that I really struggle in doing now. So it's like filleting a fish or uh, like burning a chicken is something that I really like. I just can't do. Um, the rest of the team does it. Uh, and so, yeah, I think, um, yeah, using both hands, trying to get breaks um mm. as much sometimes it's just impossible but um I mean I did change um, restaurants um I'm working now in a place which is um, not as busy and we only work daytime so I did make those changes because otherwise it wouldn't have been sustainable because realistically working as a chef it, it doesn't go with living a healthy life it's, yeah. it's very difficult to have both because yeah. you are kind of cooking when you should have, you know, your lunch or your dinner. Um, yeah. You are on your feet for many hours. You are carrying weight. Um, so, yeah, it's, it's quite it's quite tough, but you can adjust. And now I'm adjusting even more by reducing my hours. Because mm-hmm. luckily I work in a company that kind of understands and is very supportive on that side. Um, but yeah, I think, um, yeah, cooking in general, like, I love cooking when I'm at home as well. Sometimes it's difficult, you know, especially when after a day's work, uh, it's difficult for everyone to, yeah, you know, cook from scratch and um, right. get the whole food. And, but I do try and what I do sometimes when I have more energy, like I cook, I don't know, I have a big batch of kale or I have, so I cook the whole batch and then I use it for different um, recipes throughout mm-hmm. the week. Um, so yeah, cooking a whole cauliflower and again, using it for a few dis- different recipes. So I got it for the next few days. Um, that really helps. Yeah. I had actually another um, uh, person living in London, um, Emily, the arthritis foodie, she, she shared like her tips and that was one of hers too, for energy conservation and joint production, you know, definitely batch cooking ahead of time, freezing things, mm-hmm. you know, and I'm curious if you ever, um, like choose what you're going to eat based on it being easier to make. Cause I definitely do that. Do you know what I mean? Like, um, like you were saying filleting fish is hard. So like, do you have less fish because of that? Or do you just delegate the filleting or you know do, do you alter what you're going to eat based on how easy it is to make yeah absolutely and I have my partner at home he's my sous chef and he does all the chopping and yeah oh that's <laughs> great slicing. yeah he's really yeah. good and um but yeah I I like food is a massive uh, part of my life uh, and not just because of work but um I realized it makes such a difference on how I feel Mm -hmm. and so I do I am gluten and lactose intolerant as well so I do have a gluten-free and lactose-free 
diets. Um, we we eat mainly plant based, but not mm. this. Um, so I, I love fish, and there's actually a fishmonger uh, close to us, and they do the filleting. So I buy fillets. Nice. I buy like mackerel, salmon, because um, also like it's kind of a cheaper. Uh, cheaper kind of fish so it's more accessible mm. to everybody um and yeah also like frozen things um yeah. I think I don't know if it's a general thing but always just a chef thing that you shouldn't buy frozen food yeah. um but in reality like it's, it's it's good like chopped frozen um veggies um frozen fruits are actually really good and it's just so easy to, mm. to cook with them and they retain, you know, all the flavor, all the freshness. So, yeah. Oh, that's really good. Yeah, I I started um, making smoothies with um, frozen spinach. So it's already comes, it comes like in like one big giant congealed <laughs> thing. So then I have to like kind of thought a little bit and then I put it in little, I, I learned this from, I think, Christina, the arthritis dietitian on online. Um, she's also been on the podcast before a couple of times, but um, we're you put like, you pre-measure out, you know, some frozen, you know, app or uh, strawberries, banana, you know, and then the spinach, put it together. And then all you have to do is dump that in with like a little bit of like, I try to get like, I try, I mean, I'm trying to make it really basic, right. To be like, I need carbohydrates, fat, protein, and then some, you know, vitamin mineral stuff. So I'm like, okay, if it just has fruit, and spinach, I got to add a little bit of some sort of fat and protein too. So then I add like some um, protein powder and almond milk, and then like some like almond butter or something. I like nuts. I don't know about you, but you must have to have nuts with being plant-based, I'm guessing. Or Yeah, I love, I love nuts. I love nuts, yeah. seeds, legumes. And yes, we sometimes also have this like clean eating for a week. Mm-hmm. So we do like smoothie in the morning. Um, and then we do like a vegetable smoothie at lunch and then at at dinner we have like um, grains which can be quinoa, buckwheat, millets um, with veggies with some protein so lentils. I love millet, sorry. I love it so good. (laughs) Chickpeas so and some nuts and seed on top as well and a nice dressing. I love extra virgin olive oil. I think you know, me too. Italy, so. Oh, but you're from and... Italy, so you must have like the real thing. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I need that in my life, and 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 there are studies that is actually really good for you. So yeah, um, yeah, yeah, definitely. Like I have that, and yeah, avocado. I really like. Oh. So yeah, when I do when we do those clean eating, mm-hmm. like the first usually the first two days, like super grumpy, headaches. But apparently it means that it's working and oh. then yeah and then because your your body's like what's going on Where's my right right yeah and stuff? um but yeah apparently it's, yeah it's normal and then kind of gets better and you feel more energized um less pain right, usually right. as well it's kind um, of like I think sometimes yeah, it like, works for me. oh sorry I was thinking about so, like yeah, how- no, certain things like a massage, like they actually, you might feel temporarily worse, but long-term better because it's like, they're kind of waking up different, you know, 
things and releasing different things that have been kind of just sitting in your fascia or in your muscles or whatnot. So, sorry. I just thought, yeah, I think that it is, that's, what's really hard. Again, we get into that ambiguity and the uncertainty territory, which is like my main anxiety trigger, right. Is anxiety is ambiguity. Like what's, I'm not sure what to do. And then uncertainty, like, I'm not sure how long this is going to last or, you know, um, plus small spaces. If you put all those three together, it's terrible, but anyway, but, um, you have to learn like, okay, well then some triggers, like for me being out in the sun, it right away leads to fatigue and right away leads to like me feeling badly. But other times you can do an action that actually makes you feel a little bit worse temporarily, but then long-term way better. I'm like, it's hard. It's hard to figure out when do you take that data and be like, oh, I need to stop this thing. This made me worse versus I need to stay with it. Anyway, do you struggle with that too? <laughs> it's okay if you don't. Yeah. <laughs> no, I mean, luckily, like with food, luckily I I think because my body like really tells me if mm. some food is not good for me. Right. So That's like good. for years I had gluten and I, I, I was feeling very bad. So, um, and I can't have junk food. I can't have um, deep fried. So I, I've mm. always had like quite a healthy uh, diet. Mm-hmm. Um, but you know I do have sometimes takeaway and because if I'm lazy and I don't want to cook you know we all have we all need comfort in our life so oh my gosh you um, know I, I needed to ask you because my or, offline but my favorite food is Thai food and Vietnamese food I guess food foods plural because those are totally different but um I have tried on my own, totally just muddling through, trying to make certain things like peanut sauce. And I'm like, this is so far from what it tastes like at the restaurant. Like, I don't know what I'm doing wrong, <laughs> but, um, but anyway, it is, uh, yeah, it, I've heard and read that, um, a lot of times the restaurant food tastes can taste a li- or the takeaway foods and I'm fast food, it tastes better. Cause they put a whole bunch of, you know, I'm not saying that your restaurant food's yeah. not good, but you know, that yeah. you maybe they put a lot of extra, you know, um, sugar, butter, salts or stuff. That's not quite as healthy as, you know, making it on your own. But, um, I'm like, I really want to just learn how to make, you know, pod Thai, um, and have it taste good. Or like I, Tom Ka, Tom Ka guy soup, like the coconut soup. Mm-hmm. I even went and bought, um, oh, yeah, it's so good. I'm always craving that. Anyway, sorry. <laughs> so I know, but yeah, but food is one of the most common questions people ask too. There's the life hacks. How do I decrease the hand pain? And then there's, you know, is, is diet something that's, uh, you know, diet, not as a special diet, but, you know, is nutrition something that can actually help. And so it sounds like in your case, it clearly has, has had an effect that you can feel. So you're saying you have reactions to foods, like, is it in your joints and just systemically? Like, I know I get really bloated if I have had gluten or dairy, like it's beyond just the arthritis part. Is that the same for you yeah 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 so I get really bloated and yeah just got um got why yeah I don't feel good at all but also in the joints like it definitely brings flares and um especially deep and alcohol as well Mm. I basically stopped drinking Mm. um you know I have the occasion maybe once a month if we go if there's something going on but yeah it just I feel so awful the next day even if I have only one drink I just feel I've very never terrible. liked alcohol too yeah my body just doesn't like alcohol like anyway yeah it's interesting yeah. like sometimes your body kind of tells you what it what it needs other times it yeah, doesn't. Though. Think- before before I went <laughs> gluten-free I think the gluten reaction for me was a very slow one 
And because I had it every single mm-hmm. darn day, I was like, no, I have no problem with like crackers and bread and cereals. It wasn't until I tried eliminating it. that I was like, oh my gosh, like I feel so much better. Like overall, like I didn't know I was bloated all the time. It didn't really affect my rheumatoid arthritis, like in a linear way that I could tell, but like mm-hmm. my overall health and, and sense of bloating and sense of digestion, like I'm actually absorbing foods and nutrients, you know? So anyway, um, you know, sometimes your body t- and long story short, sometimes your body tells you other times your body doesn't. Cause I think my body was, or my body, maybe it, it, well, it, sorry, it was telling me, but it was telling me in a way that I was still kind of comfortable enough that I could push through. And then <laughs> once I eliminated that, I was like, oh, what I thought was normal was not normal. <laughs> yeah, I think it's more say, okay, that's how it's actually how it is. Because yeah. imagine me growing up in Italy, you know, pasta, bread, pizza, yeah, literally yeah. every day. So, but even when I go back home, because my family lives there, like they don't believe in gluten intolerance. Like it's, it's not a thing. Like, well, what is, I mean, if you can't have pasta, you can't, no, that's, oh, that's no. crazy. So not everybody, but it's just, you know I was like yeah it's, it is a thing actually yeah, I, yeah but yeah it's just so much in the culture you know you have to have pasta you have to have pizza that totally it's, it's, it's like no this is not real yet it's, it's not a thing it's like okay yeah sure uh, can I have some veggies please <laughs> I know oh my gosh oh my gosh well I have heard that some regions of Italy you know this is just something I read online but some regions are really good about providing gluten-free options nowadays but maybe that was a it, it is thing. Changing. oh okay <laughs> it is changing I have yeah I must say because um in especially the recent years there are more and more people in with celiac disease as well mm-hmm. um mm-hmm. so actually the government gives um money to celiac people to buy gluten free food because it's very very expensive um ah, so it yeah, gives yeah. like little yeah, bonus cards to, to buy gluten free Oh, so it is changing, but like in the common, you know, yeah, it's it's like nah, you have to have your pizza. It's just good for you. But oh, yeah, so it is funny. changing. <laughs> oh my gosh! Well, this is so fun. I want to talk to you more about food, but I want to actually, <laughs> um, just for the sake of time, I'm going to start this new segment I've decided on about on like rapid fire questions. Well, and one of them is one I've asked everyone in the past too, but then I'm going to ask some more, um, kind of quicker questions, but what firstly, what are some, what do you like to say to newly diagnosed patients or what's like a piece of wisdom or advice you would give to somebody who like just Mm -hmm. yesterday got diagnosed with psoriatic arthritis and is like, what is my life now? I think definitely join a support group. Do you real go to real guys? Like, <laughs> I didn't pay her to say that. Not, <laughs> yeah, I'm, I'm not advertising, but no, I think you know it's so easy to get caught up in your Google search and and yes, yeah, just seeing the data and seeing you know what it is, what are the symptoms, uh, what's the treatment, and but is is so much more. So yeah, I think creating a community with social media, with a support group is is something that helped me very much. And that's awesome. Sorry, changing your yeah, changing your priorities as well. You know, when you I changed my priority for me, 
before this, it was work. Like my priority was work. Mm-hmm. There was nothing else in my world. And, you know, my body, my, my, both my mental and my physical um, health came after or didn't come at all, like mm-hmm. <laughs> many years. So, yeah, change your priorities if you can, obviously, and do something that you really like and that makes you feel good. And, you know, it is a time that you feel lonely and, yeah, mm-hmm. definitely creating a community where you can share and where you can hear other people's stories is massively important, I think. I'm so I'm glad to hear that. <laughs> now, what is your favorite arthritis gadget or tool in your toolbox? Mm, my gloves. Gloves. Yes. I love my gloves. Compression yeah, gloves um, for the win. Yeah, that's really good. And yeah, what else? Yeah, my meditation. Yeah. Yeah. yeah that's primary for yeah. me at least. Mm-hmm. And then this doesn't have to be about arthritis, but what's something that's bringing you joy right now? Um, what's bringing me joy? So I'm going to start a new course in actually a couple of weeks. So oh. I'm going to do a nutrition course. Ooh. So that is bringing me a lot of joy is it's something that I've always been interested in because it's kind of the science behind food and and now even even more like it's it's very interesting for me to understand you know how nutrition can help and uh, with health Uh, so I'm going to start that and it's also about giving time for myself for my own interests Mm -hmm. and for you know hobbies and yeah that's so that right now is yeah Having a sense of purpose, something to learn. Yeah, it's so key. And do you have a favorite book or show or movie you've read or watched recently? Um, So I'm reading uh, The Brain Changer. Oh. By uh, Felice Jacka, I think. Yeah. So she's a professor in Australia. And it's basically about her research um on how food affects not only physical health but mental health as well mm. and it's super interesting um because I was actually listening into a podcast um of uh, the doctor's kitchen oh so yes he's, I've uh, heard of that yeah, mm-hmm. yeah so he's a um, general practitioner in the UK and in the years he realized how food was important uh, for health Mm-hmm. So he had um, uh, Felice Jacker in uh, as a guest in the podcast, and so she was explaining, you know, her research and everything, and it was like very interesting. And um, and it's not like heavy reading; it's quite light. Like she 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 writes really well, and nice. in a very you know, she explains well, and it's quite everybody can understand. Like I don't have a science background, so. Um, right, and right, it's just right. very fascinating about you know how research is done and how data and how all the variables can change mm-hmm. assessing outcomes. So yeah, that yeah definitely is a good one. That's awesome. And then okay, back to the arthritis topic too. But I mean that that related too. But um, 
this is a hard one to answer. So it's very broad, but what does it mean for you? What does it mean to live a good life with rheumatic disease? Well, I know (laughs) what's the meaning of life while you're at it. (laughs) Um, uh, I think having a good balance. um, So again, I said this already, so changing my priorities and thinking about myself more, Um, Mm. being more compassionate for myself, being, well, actually being, I've never been compassionate or kind to myself, so being actually, Mm. learn how to be compassionate and how to be kind. And I've actually learned so much and I'm, it gave me the opportunity to to learn uh, different things and um, be interested and be curious in new things. So, yeah, I think yeah, living with arthritis means always be curious. You know, do your research, but make sure you do the good research. Be, oh, um, I'm, I'm trying. I'm condensing this. I'm like, be compassionately curious, <laughs> curious and compassionate. I love. I love that. Yeah. I thought I was self-compassionate before I learned. I was like, why is everyone talking about self-compassion? Like it's this new thing. Like all you have to do is just love yourself or whatever. But I'm like, you can love yourself without being like compassionate to yourself on a minute by minute basis. Right. Like I had good self-esteem, but I realized I had this running commentary in my head of like, that's not good enough you know, and that's totally from my own self-criticism. It's not from anything in my childhood or anything. Cause I was always given like so much encouragement and stuff, but anyway, it's just been really interesting to be like, um, you know, and I'm teaching this to my son as well. Of like, is there a different way of looking at that? Not saying like, I'm right. And you're wrong, but like, you know, um, <laughs> I'm, I, I, I hope he's okay. If he, this being out there, but I'll think later if I'm going to delete it, but he said, um, <laughs> We, I was coaching his soccer team and on Saturday it was really hot, unusually hot here. And it was smoky. So it was pretty miserable and oh. was in 12 o'clock noon game. I'm sitting there with my rain umbrella, providing shade to myself. And then we were, we were winning three to two. And then we were tied. We love our team scored. And he goes, we have to win. If we don't win all of this suffering in the sun will be for nothing. <laughs> I was like, he said the quiet part out loud. Like we, I'm sure many of us were thinking that, but also is there a different way of looking at it? You know, <laughs> it was just really funny because I mean, but I mean, oh, the self-compassion so is more funny. about, yeah, no, we didn't end up winning, but then, you know, if we had lost, it probably would have been like, you know, um, a different story, but, but, you know, I, I see in his self-assessment again, like we talked earlier in the groups or in social settings, you can see other people's you know, their self-assessment, their self-compassion or lack thereof easier than you can see it in yourself. And, you know, saying, oh, you know, I hear you saying that you are terrible at soccer because you missed one tackle, you know, is there another way of looking at that missing one tackle, you know, trying to say, it and it actually goes better when, I mean, I'm not saying I'm an amazing, I'm amazing. I didn't, I didn't necessarily get through to him, um, but, um, but in the, in the case there, there's been cases where it's like, we're very hard on ourselves, you know, and just thinking, is there a different way of looking at it is, is helpful. So. 
<laughs> yeah, um, it, it's so easy to beat yourself up. And yeah. And yeah, we just, I think living with a fright just means, you know, letting it go and just be kind to yourself and, and taking moments for yourself. And if you, you don't always have to go, 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 go. There, there are times where you can, it's fine to stay in bed all day and, and just, and just be and just watch silly stuff on Netflix is absolutely fine. Oh yeah. I just binged Severance, the show on Apple TV plus. It's really good. It's so good. And yeah, I was like, I deserve this. (laughs) I deserve this break, but thank you so much. Is there anything else um, you would want to share before we complete this wrapping up? Um, No, I think, no, it was amazing. Yeah. Yeah. It was really good to to be able to share my story. Yeah. Um, Thank you so much. And I, I was thinking like, I, if I renamed the podcast, it would be like arthritis life stories, you know, um, because it's like, that is kind of what we're doing, right. We're all, we are, you know, sharing people's life stories and, um, and then I'm like sprinkling in little pieces of wisdom or attempting to. So, and where can people find you online if they want to follow up and ask you about, maybe there's a chef listening. Who's like, Oh, how does she do it? You know? <laughs> yeah. So uh, again, as I said, I, I didn't have social media for a few years, but just recently, literally two weeks ago, yeah, I decided to to create this profile on Instagram, which is called Arthritis Chef. And it's again, just because I realized how important it is to share because it was so helpful for me. And I just mm. yeah, I want to share my story and hopefully I'm, I'm setting up a blog as well. Uh, which is going to be connected to the profile and just kind of sharing recipes, tips. And also, like, since I'm going to do this nutrition course, hopefully I'm going to learn, you know, very useful and interesting things. Um, so, yeah, I'll try to share on, on Instagram. I'm there. You? I love your, I mean, of course, I'm biased because it's it's like a similar graphic style to mine, but I love the logo, Kate, Kate Personal Chef. It's so cute. Yeah, and, and my partner, he's a professional photographer. I was gonna say, okay, so who did... takes your photos? Because this is magazine worthy. Yeah, you guys have to I'm watch. I'm so lucky. Yeah, so it's personal chef Kate at dot wordpress.com. So I'm gonna put that on on there too. Yeah, yeah, I'm gonna do a new um I'm gonna probably because you know, this is private chef work. Um but yeah, all the images from there are oh my gosh you make me want to eat vegetables which is hard to do because I I am very like I have a protein and carb kind of constant cravings for protein and carbs not as much for like nutrients (laughs) but hey you just gotta hide the vegetables and the carbs and then that's good yeah oh my gosh is that a meringue okay I'm gonna stop looking at this because we gotta wrap it up (laughs) But thank you. Thank you so, so much. Um, oh, are your, your headphones lost power? We talked for so long. Or I think I lost you. Oh, I'm here. Are you still here? Sorry, can you hear me? I can hear you. Yeah. Sorry, my headphones. Oh, that's okay. Ah, okay, I'm back. Sorry about that. <laughs> nice.
Okay. No, um, I mean, we were just, I was just saying your website's amazing, but thank you so much. And yeah, everyone check out her Instagram at, um, arthritis chef. I'm, I can't believe you got that your, or that name. That's awesome. <laughs> I would have thought someone else maybe would have snagged it up. And, um, and if you have any questions for either of us, you know, you can, um, go ahead and comment on, on the Instagram show page for this episode or in email me at info at my arthritislife.net. But thank you so much, Kate. I really appreciate chatting with you. Thanks.
I'm so excited to have Kate here today to share her experience with psoriatic arthritis. Welcome, Kate. Hello. Thank you. Thank you for having me. Yeah. Thank can you, for you the just... opportunity. <laughs> oh, I'm so, I know. I'm so, so excited. And can you just tell the audience a brief introduction, like where you live and what your relationship to arthritis is? Yes. So I grew up in Italy, but I've been living in London for 12 years now. Um, and I've been diagnosed with thoracic arthritis uh, a bit less than two years ago. Uh, and yeah, it's been a journey uh, yeah. and ups and downs. And I think now the final diagnosis is thoracic arthritis, osteoarthritis, osteopenia, and they're still looking into, uh, I have some gut problems, so they're looking into, it might be Crohn's disease, they're not quite sure doing some tests but um yeah on the right path to to yeah get just get better yeah yeah and that's a that's a lot of diagnoses to, to have to <laughs> adjust to in a short period yeah. of time um can you tell me a little bit more about like two years ago you know what was happening before you got diagnosed was it hard to get diagnosed or was it easy and just walk us through a little bit of that. <laughs> yeah, so I think for me, it was very difficult to kind of think that my symptoms were related to a disease rather than my lifestyle. Uh, for me, especially like being a chef, it was kind of a given to be always in pain, be always exhausted and fatigued. Uh, when I started, I started being a chef about 15 years ago. <clears throat> and back then it was, very hardcore you know on my feet for 18 hours a day um carrying weights topping slicing you know of course your hands are going to hurt of course you're going to feel pain in your back and and your feet um and back then the kitchen is, was kind of very old school so but don't complain keep your head down everybody's in pain everybody's feeling what you're feeling but don't share kind of situation right. so and I also I think I wasn't ready for being my own advocate and kind of saying oh no there is definitely something wrong with me I need to see a doctor and it was only kind of in my early 30s that I decided to change my lifestyle <clears throat> and so kind of try to work a bit less and having a more sustainable uh, work-life balance and even then, I realized the symptoms didn't change that much. I was still very fatigued. I was in pain. And especially in my hands, I have, um, it started mostly in my hands. And my fingers are slightly deformed and they're getting worse with time. So that's kind of when I realized, okay, there's something else going on. Um, and then there was, I think with lockdown, I think everybody had the time to kind of stop, slow down and stop thinking uh, at our priorities. So I, I realized, you know, during lockdown, I was at home. I was eating healthy. I was cooking all my meals. I was exercising. There wasn't the stress of work. Of course, there was the stress of a pandemic, but still there was some pain there. So it was only then that I decided to see a doctor. Um, so... Obviously, during the pandemic, it was very difficult to see a doctor. So it was all through video calls. Uh, so wow. with a general practitioner, uh, I saw her on video call. And 
because of the symptoms and family history as well. So my cousin has thoracic arthritis. So she ran all the usual tests, you know, blood tests, uh, rheumatoid factor and all of that. And nothing really came out. Mm. So the only thing was I had very, very low vitamin D. Um, I was deficient in that. So that was kind of the only thing. Um, but then she said, you know, since the family history and since all your system, symptoms are there, uh, I will refer you to a rheumatologist. So I got That's referred. Really good. Yeah. Yeah, I got referred, but it was kind of still pandemic time. So I didn't hear anything for months. Then I got a letter for an appointment and it was due like four months later. And by that time, I was in a very, very bad pain. Um, yeah, I was very much in pain. I, again, I started working. I lost my job my previous job because of COVID oh. so that was very stressful for me and I was struggling to find a job obviously with you know the hospitality industry was just destroyed yeah <laughs> it was a very tough time so with my new job it was it was a quite a tough one and I was very stressed very much in pain and I just couldn't take it anymore so I just didn't have it. oh yeah no no problem yeah this so, yeah, I can't imagine having your first um, diagnosis experience, you know, during the pandemic. It's just, it was a very stressful time for everyone. So yeah. I feel for you. <laughs> so, yeah, I just couldn't take it. And I, I, I remember going back home from work and I, I wasn't able to hold the fork with my hand. It was so painful. I couldn't move it. And I was just crying in pain. So I decided to see a private rheumatologist because that was the only way that it was going to be like a lot quicker and I did get an appointment within days oh wow so yeah it was really good and obviously paid a lot of money but it was yeah. definitely worth it um I, I just needed some some help and and some answers quickly and um this doctor was really helpful he realized straight away what was going on you know with all the symptoms family history and so he booked other tests and he booked an ultrasound. Again, nothing, everything was good. Ultrasound didn't show any inflammation. He explained and he said, you know, there are different types of arthritis and not all of them can show. And if you don't have inflammation at that specific moment, it might not show. And he decided to start with uh, hydroxychloroquine straight away and also on cosphosphorus, so on prednisolone, just to help me with the pain. And that was really helpful. I was, I mean, I didn't sleep for a few weeks. And right, yeah. I was full of energy, <laughs> mm -hmm. which was amazing. Uh, yeah. And I was pain-free, so that was, that was a bit different experience. But yeah, it was good. Uh, and then it was about two months I was uh, taking um, hydroxychloroquine and nothing happened. And by then I had the appointment with my with the uh, national health uh, rheumatologist. And so the private rheumatologist basically said, you know, the next step would be going methotrexate, but it's just so much easier for you to do it through the um, national health rheumatologist mm -hmm. because you will have to do all the blood tests. And if you go privately, it's gonna obviously like cost a lot, a lot of money. So. Mm -hmm. wait what they say wait to see what they say but you know if I can be of any help um, 
just let me know. Uh, so then when I had my first appointment with the rheumatologist, it was kind of starting from zero again, obviously, because mm-hmm. they were like, you realize you had kind of, you've seen someone else, you've been diagnosed, um, but we kind of, we, we will take that, but we will need to run all the tests again. So wow. all the tests were run again, ultrasound, x-ray, everything. Mm-hmm. <laughs> wow. <laughs> You'd think they wouldn't. Yeah, that's interesting. <laughs> yeah. So, yeah, it was just starting from zero. So it was a bit frustrating for me just to run through all this. I mean, it was it was fun, but you know, it was just like, can we please find a solution? Because uh, I was I was still in, in a lot of pain, and obviously, prednisolone you can't take for a long period of time. So. Oh yeah, um, and I just I just want to add a quick little piece of context mm-hmm. for those listening that you know one of the kind of cruel ironies of these diseases is that um, they tend to take a long time to get diagnosed for like systemic healthcare issues, whether that's in the UK or the US where there's, you know, um, long wait times, um, for rheumatologists, there's a rheumatologist shortage in the United States. That's really, really bad for pediatric rheumatologists. And then, but the, all of the data and research shows that the earlier you get diagnosed and treated, the better your long-term prognosis. So it's kind of a rude uh, awakening or another cruel irony when people finally, when, if you do more research on your condition, you learn that there can be a feeling of, oh my gosh, like I suffered unnecessarily in the sense that like, if we could turn back the clock and like, if you could have gotten that diagnosis, you know what I mean? And I know you can torture yourself thinking like that. So I'm not (laughs) encouraging people to think that way, but I'm saying for those listening who maybe don't have a diagnosis yet, like there are a lot of objective reasons to be really aggressive about getting a diagnosis because the earlier you get accurately diagnosed and treated, the the better just objectively across the board. So anyway, just throwing that yeah, out absolutely. as like a teachable yeah. moment. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. And I realized with the private rheumatologist, I thought like he was like, let's stop now. Like, like let's, let's not waste any time. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, different story with uh, NHS rheumatologists. I mean, they were lovely, but obviously on their side, they needed to have all the data um, <clears throat> to make sure there wasn't something else. Well, and, so, and just again, for those uh, in the United States listening or other places, NHS is the nationalized uh, yeah. healthcare in the UK. Or is it UK or all across the board? UK, yeah. Okay, mm-hmm. okay, yeah. Yeah, yeah. Okay, so um, they ran the test again. They ran the test, yeah. So, and everything came back normal again. Um, so I get a call from the rheumatologist and she's like, yeah, so everything is normal. But again, you know, your symptoms are all there, the family history. So just to be sure, I want to do uh, MRI of your hands because I can see there's deformity there as well. And so finally, MRI came back and there was uh, erosion in my hands and which um, erosions that showed it was inflammatory arthritis and in my left hand I had osteoarthritis as well mm-hmm. so they said okay yes this is you're being diagnosed with arthritis so you did I dropped I dropped chloroquine already mm-hmm. so we're going to start your methotrexate so then that journey started and I think for me at the beginning, it was denial in a sense of maybe like protecting myself yeah. to like realize what was really going on. 
because I remember my partner he like wow you're like you're amazing like you're taking this so well like you're like you're so strong I was like yeah because I don't believe it (laughs) but I didn't say anything so everybody was like okay she's very cool about this and it was like one month in two months in three months in and then I think starting methotrexate and the side effects and I had a massive flare-up as well in the middle Mm. and then I kind of realized okay this is real Mm. and and then from denial it was kind of depression anxiety of you know what is going to happen what does this mean what how am I going to live you know also with my work being a chef um I was reading you know uh, all these sad stories and you know there's disability there's you know um reduced movement and I could see my hands which and I was just panicking a little bit and so yeah yeah so (laughs) no I think this is such it's such a fascinating dichotomy because I remember I remember in one of the first room to thrive group um, meetings we had a lot of people were saying they felt they felt weird for being in denial because they're like I understand that I have this enough that I'm here. Like I've joined this program, but I also like in the back of my head, I'm like, do I really have it? And I think there's like this, like, I, I really identify with what you're saying about it being protective because on the one hand, if you, if you're in denial, that means that you don't have to accept this long-term chronic condition. <laughs> but if you accept it, there's like, there's benefits and downsides of both, right? Cause if you accept it, then you open yourself up to there's a reason for your pain and there's a path to improving your pain and improving your condition through, you know, medication and lifestyle. And um, whereas I think for me, what was what protected me from going fully into denial is that, well, okay, if it's not rheumatoid arthritis, then I'm back to square one with pain with no answers. And that was the worst. So I don't know, did you feel any of that where it was like, did you feel any relief at all to have an official diagnosis or was it all just swirling I think for one part yes and I realized that when it was taken away from me recently when I had my follow-up appointments um a couple of months ago because obviously all of the classic medications weren't working and I had um allergic reaction with sulfasalazine as well yeah so then the rheumatologist at our appointment, she was like, oh, maybe it's not cirrhotic arthritis. Maybe we need to go back to square one and rethink everything. And that was when I, I was like, no, no, don't take this away from me. Like, you gave me a name of what this is. And I need, I need a name. I need to, to know yeah. what all my symptoms are. And what is, yes. you know, what can help and what uh, are the treatments for it. So, yeah, I think the, the the time that it was kind of taken away from me. And then obviously, like, it was, I did an ultrasound after that just recently. And I, I, I did have inflammation. So the, the diagnosis was reconfirmed again. Um, no, but, but yeah, it was. Yeah. Sorry, no, yeah. sorry. No, no, you keep going. Keep going. <laughs> yeah, I think it was just um it's a, it's a long process um yeah. I think I you know all these 
steps of grief and like denial, depression, anxiety. Mm-hmm. You, I think, especially like being in your group and and realizing that everybody goes through them is, in a way, comforting and it it gives you yeah. the confidence to move forward. Mm-hmm. And yeah, that's that's what helped me the most. I think realizing that I wasn't alone and there are other people that or living that or have lived and have gone through denial and depression and anxiety and it's a circle in a way you go back to it you know you have mm-hmm. a some bad news you have a bad appointment with your rheumatologist and and, it, and it's fine but it's as you say you have you get all the tools in your box and yeah. to be able to kind of accept and to know what works best for you mm. and how to move forward and that yeah like getting all the tools was the process to accept um what I had I think yeah yeah so often I think that we can see patterns in other people better than we see them in ourselves right so like if you're experiencing kind of an issue of like ping-ponging back and forth between denial and then kind of anxiety about the condition that you're not in denial about anymore. (laughs) And then you ping pong back and forth. You can see when you're in a group setting, you see other people go through that and it's much easier to identify it in someone else. And then also be like, well, wait a minute, I'm also going through that. It's almost like you work backwards, you know? Um, So, but, but, uh, oh shoot, I was gonna say something else in my train of thought, just (laughs) the train of thought left the station. (laughs) I don't remember what that was, but, um, but but yeah, I mean, I'm so glad you joined the group, but I do think people sometimes will say like, oh, well, I don't really have a diagnosis yet, or I'm not sure my diagnosis is correct. And so much of what we go over in Room to Thrive is these tools to deal with ambiguity and cope with ambiguity, cope with ups and downs, cope with the fact that you don't know what's going to happen tomorrow necessarily. Um, and so that's, you know, um, you're not the first person in the group for for better, for worse, that has had their diagnosis um kind of questioned by their medical team or reassessed and um you know when this happened to another person it got changed from rheumatoid to ankylosing spondylitis it was like I tried to kind of um help give context to the conversation by saying you know validating your emotions but also saying long term it is really important to have an accurate diagnosis because you want to to give the right treatment at the right time. So even if it's like, there's a mourning process when your diagnosis has changed, it's in your best interest to have the right, you know, diagnosis. So anyway, <laughs> but, um, yeah, like I know that you have a lot of, a lot of tools in your toolbox. So, um, you know, you mentioned to room to thrive and what are some of the other like tools that have helped you with the coping and the emotional ups and downs? Yeah, so I think when I when I made contact with you, I was kind of in, in the deepest, darkest, um, mm. yeah, <laughs> the darkest place, and um, it was it, it came at such a perfect time because you were starting the, the course like within a week, I think. So that was oh, wow. very useful. Yeah, it was like, oh, okay, yeah, I need to sign in, like sign me in straight away. All so right. that was great. And in the meantime. I was also doing um, mindfulness meditation course. Yeah, yeah. Um, which I came across um, through this lady who in London, and she's a hypnotherapist and a meditation oh. practitioner. Mm-hmm. 
very lovely person and yeah I was having a tough time um with depression and I was reading about it in the hypnotherapist and I was like okay it's interesting I want to mm-hmm. I, I was very curious so I went to see her and I had a few sessions with her and she said you know you have all your tools to kind of go through this and I think what would really work for you is meditation mm. and so again she then started a course a few months later uh, which she does like every year uh, this mindfulness uh, meditation course and is uh, similar to what uh, we did so it's like a zoom meeting with uh, four other people and she kind of teaches and explains what uh, meditation is um, the different types of meditation and it was very hard for me at the beginning mm. because yeah I think for everybody you think you know meditation is about I need to erase all my thoughts yeah. I need to you know cross leg and and of course it's not like that at all and it's not about removing all the stress and all the anxiety is sometimes it's also about acceptance um, mm-hmm. so that was a very and I realize now after months and practicing and practicing is getting much better and is not necessarily that I meditate every day but I'm being I think a bit more mindful in general right. um but like with CBT as well like I've learned now my three favorite words are acceptance compassion and kindness they're kind oh. of I always try to have those words in my mind because uh, mm-hmm. I realized they're very useful for me yeah. so acceptance like I mean we talked uh, about it in the group as well and just you know accepting that you know sometimes the pain is there and we have to go through it and you know get some help with our different tools with our gloves with the mm-hmm. you know feeling relaxing um, and for me it was accepting that stress is there yeah Obviously, that's so I hard <laughs> I did modify like being a chef unfortunately is a very stressful environment is very hectic yeah, yeah. Um, so I did kind of mold and try to change my work to make it more yeah a bit less stressful let's say but yeah. there is you know even the world we're living is it's just difficult to you can't remove the stress from from your life and from this world unfortunately yeah. so it's more yeah now I'm more like okay yes this is stressful this is a stressful situation but either I can use my tools to to work on it or I just accept it and yeah, then, yeah and I was going to say so as a very like goal-oriented person I think if you only look at stress reduction then if you have any, like, maybe I'm just being a perfectionist, but I'm like, if my goal is to reduce stress, then if I have any remaining stress after I do my tools, I've like failed, right? Because my, I still have stress and the goal is to reduce stress or eliminate stress. Whereas if you're like, my goal is to cope better with the stress, it actually long-term does reduce the stress. It's the same with like the happiness trap or like you're actually happier when you stop trying to be happy all the time and thinking that your life should be just pure happiness one moment after the other. So um, I don't know if that resonates with you at all. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. And yeah. that was the problem for me in the beginning. It was like, I need to eliminate it. I need to you know, get rid of all the stress in my life. And yeah. Yeah. that just makes it a lot more stressful. 
Yeah. Yeah. And I think that there are conditions, like life is an inherently stressful endeavor, right? (laughs) And there's never been a time in like human history that life is, I mean, maybe actually I I should be culturally, if I'm culturally competent here and I remember my anthropology training, there are cultures that, that do have a lot more like rest in their day, you know, like different parts of the world, there's cultures that have evolved, you know, uh, where people are like, they have leisure time and they, so it's not that everyone is like inherently as stressed as like the modern Western world is, but, um, but in general saying that, okay, you know, we have our brains at least according to a lot of the research I've read is that our brains are kind of wired towards, um, paying more attention to negative events than positive events because negative events and negative possibilities are the ones that have more of an effect on our survival and that survival is like our main goal, you know, right. As species. So, um, like to survive and to propagate your genes. Right. So anyway, long story short, like, yeah, setting a realistic goal that like, I, I understand that stress is not good for me, that it's inflammatory. It's not good if you're living with an, with an inflammatory condition like psoriatic arthritis, but also saying, I also accept that stress is pretty much inevitable most days. And then you'll be pleasantly surprised if it doesn't occur one day, but that, you know, I'm going to have a better quality of life if I can cope with the existing stress. So, but I think, yeah, being a chef, I always say when people get diagnosed, they're like, you know, or people will say like, what are the worst jobs to have or the hardest jobs to have <laughs> if you have like um, any sort of inflammatory arthritis that affects the hands. Um, and I would say like being a massage therapist and like a chef are like two of the hardest ones. So, um, but sorry, I, I, I did want to ask you more about your like hacks that you've learned as a chef, but did you want to say anything more about like, um, you know, the mindfulness practice and CBT and like what's helped you mentally cope? Yeah, I think think CBT um, was very helpful as well because I had therapy before. I had like a long-term relationship with a therapist. It was like six years. And Mm. in the past, I went through depression for a while and anxiety. So, Mm -hmm. and that was very useful, but it was kind of like very deep therapy you know going Mm. through all your traumas and and I realized at this time that's not what I needed Mm. um I needed something more practical a bit more structured as well in what can be useful for me with Mm. you know having a new diagnosis and CBT I think was really really good for me Mm. uh so Oh, it stands for um, cognitive behavior therapy, by the way. Yeah, sorry, I always try sorry. to remember to define <laughs> yeah, the acronyms. Yeah. Sorry, I completely forgot. Yeah. Yeah, um, no, it's yeah. <laughs> so yeah, it was it was very helpful. And I'm quite visual, so and I love my lists. I love to write things down. Mm-hmm. So being able to write things down and and also she talked a lot about um images. So when you have a negative thought, what do you see? What are the images? Mm. And that was incredibly helpful for me. Interesting, yeah. And for example, also, um, I remember having this image and like being a puzzle. So a puzzle, you know, you put it together, but it can be very fragile because all the pieces can kind of fall. So if you didn't have like a stable top to keep it on, it kind of falls apart. So it was kind of say one piece falls down and every piece is like one piece is stressed and one of these knows 
an argument with your partner or and kind of everything when more than one piece fall it's more difficult to put the pieces back together in a way so she was saying the right so you you have a bad day at work you're stressed you had an argument with your partner you know there's different things going on and it kind of you all bring it together in one big thing Mm-hmm. and actually dividing it so for example situation one you know a stressful moment at work how can I work with that do I accept it do I work on it mm-hmm. do I have you know five minutes meditation a bit of breathing whatever and so dividing it makes it less um overwhelming for me yes, at least it yeah. works really well so yeah that was really useful yeah, and I, I I also like the idea of naming things, just the act of naming it. Like this mm-hmm. is my anxiety about my work, or this is my, you know, and separating it out so it's less like swirling and overwhelming. Um, that's that's super, super helpful. And I do think it's a good lesson that like different therapists at different times in your life and different styles of therapy, like one-on-one individualized therapy can be useful in different ways right so you know maybe you were saying you're you, right now the right thing for you was you know a more practical kind of logical approach like cbt versus previously you needed like a more a different a different kind of trauma based approach or you know and i think that that therapy is not just one thing right and even physical therapy occupation no therapy is is just one thing there's an art and a science so it really is for those listening I know I've said this a million times but you know um if it's maybe it's your first episode but (laughs) that you know you it is normal to have to you know interview a couple of therapists or you know take a little while to find a good fit for you and that's just because you don't like the first one you talk to doesn't mean you should um quit or say that therapy is not for you you know (laughs) yeah exactly it takes time and as I say for different people there's different kind of therapies in different situations in life and you can take the time I mean it took me a while to find one that Mm -hmm. I could relate to Mm -hmm. so you know you have but it kind of as soon as you find the right one I think you you realize straight away and you kind of click and that's what important because you're going to say you know some very personal things um so you need to you need to feel comfortable with that person absolutely Yeah. yeah yeah And um, before we talk about, I really want to get more into the chef stuff as well, but I'm going to go back actually to, you were saying that you found room to thrive, like initially you're, you found it within a week of when it was going to, the next, you know, um, group was going to start, but you also were saying it was kind of like a low point for you. Like what were some of the thoughts that were swirling in your head at at that time? If you can remember, I know it's probably painful to go back. (laughs) Yeah, I think it was. Yeah, it was that time that I was in methotrexate, so I had really bite the bad side effects, and I had a flare-up. I was very busy at work, very stressed. Mm-hmm. So it was kind of everything put together. And I just remember, I think it was also, did we start? It was April we started. Yes. So, yeah. yeah. So here was like the weather was really awful. It was raining all the time. It was really dark. Mm-hmm. So it was a kind of I have you know just images of everything being very dark, and. I I just couldn't find answers you know mm. you go through your research from Google and but it's all data like you know there's no there's not much of course I, did, I wasn't on social media at the time so mm. that is well I couldn't 
I didn't have that sense of community. I was watching a few YouTube videos um, okay. of people like telling their experience, but it was, I couldn't find much. And probably if I didn't have the tools and I didn't understand how mm-hmm. to get to people. And I think not having social media is also a, a big part, you know, you kind mm-hmm. of, it's difficult to create a community. Um, yeah. So yeah, I think it, it just came at the perfect time. And it, you know, when you, you have moments when you're going to be really confused and you're going to be feeling very alone, very lonely, because your loved ones, of course, they're there and they try to help you. You know, I'm, I'm lucky. I have my partner and he's been so supportive, oh. so, so amazing, because I can be very grumpy. When I'm, <laughs> <insane>. <laughs> um, I'm so glad you have that. You deserve that. <laughs> <laughs> thank you. But yeah, you, you you do feel the need to have someone that is feeling what you're feeling and to just just to listen and hear that someone went through yeah, went through that and it's yeah, is very uh comforting and calming. Yeah. And also like being able to learn everything that you teach is is very it was very helpful. Because I think I mean, we said, you know, knowledge is power and also being able to advocate for yourself and being able to go to your rheumatology appointments and know what you're talking about. I think mm. I I've, I always was used to being very passive, like mm. the doctors, this authority, and I can't say anything, you know, I can't con- contradict them. Um, mm. But then you, you want to have that knowledge to be able to say, no, excuse me, like, I need this to be explained again. Why is this, you know, why are you doing this and not this? You know, it is, again, it's going to be a long relationship with them. Mm-hmm. So you want it to be mm-hmm. equal. And I think to be able to be equal, you need to have that knowledge. Yeah, yeah. And I, it really is interesting. Like I've seen that so many times in the group because um, I've done it, you know, over a few years now, but where people will, they, they're scared to talk to their doctor about something or bring up a question that they have and that encouragement from the other members and the knowledge that you're gonna have to report back to them like, okay, next yeah. meeting, like, let us know how it goes. Like that can be that extra nudge, you know? Or just hearing, I mean, like you really advocated for yourself when you you had a, a kind of not great interaction with your, you know, primary doctor, primary rheumatologist, sorry. <laughs> um, and then, you know, I'll, some people in the group, or sorry, is it okay if I tell them the story? Are you, yeah, you yeah, 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 well, I was gonna start as well. Yeah, well, I'll just set the stage a little bit, but I'll say yeah. from my experience, if you have a, a not great interaction with your health provider, a lot of times people will say, get a second opinion. And that's actually what I was kind of leaning t- towards suggesting or suggesting you think about in your case. But um, the other option is to commute, to talk to the provider and like seek a resolution or seek a repairing of that relationship um, which that's, there's so many benefits to that because that provider has your knowledge of your case. If you get a second opinion, you're starting from square one. Again, again, a lot of times second opinions are warranted and, and necessary, but, but yeah, tell, tell me a little bit about how that, like how you got the courage to advocate for yourself and go back to that provider. Yeah. And, yeah. <laughs> yeah. So I think it was, it was incredibly useful for me to share it with the group and to get all the different opinions, 
also to have someone that was going through this I had gone through the same thing so being diagnosed twice and having a different diagnosis the second time um and yeah just getting all the advice and, and kind of the courage to, to do something about it so yeah for me initially I thought yeah I'm going to get a second opinion but in the UK a second opinion means again paying a private rheumatologist and I just and I started thinking I said okay this primary rheumatologist I'm going to see her for a while I I want to create a good relationship and I want her to understand that she needs to explain things to me like properly like and I realized also in a way you know healthcare is overwhelmed we said this before and they're going you know they're seeing so many patients a day and sometimes they just get mechanic probably you know okay this 20 minutes appointment next 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 and you don't think about the compassionate element about being kind because you just have so much to do and I, I do appreciate that completely so I decided to send her an email with basically saying you know I our last appointment left me very confused and I don't understand what's going on and all the points that I didn't understand and what for me made sense what didn't and she came back to me very quickly which was surprising and she was very nice in, in the email and then in our next appointment about a month later like she was very different and she was very compassionate very kind and she explained everything she treated me like an equal mm. and and yeah I think the relationship kind of um turned and she realized that I was not gonna take you know just simple answers and without you know without any explanation so yeah I think it's definitely it's, it's very important to if you're not sure about something if something is not clear don't don't be scared and and I always been very scared as well in in rheumatology appointment like I, I have 10, 20 minutes uh, there's going to be someone else I, I was always very anxious that I couldn't take too much time because there was someone else waiting after me um, but you know it is your time and you do have the right to be there and to have your doctor explain everything to you yeah absolutely yeah. no that's so that's such a good um teachable moment, I guess, for everyone else. I keep saying that phrase lately, but, and I think, you know, in, in this case, it, it wasn't just that the rheumatologist hadn't like explained things in a way that you could understand, but that I think if I remember correctly, that you kind of felt like emotionally, there was like a dismissal of you, like, like, or an, a lack of understanding that, you know, if they were going to potentially like change your diagnosis or question your diagnosis, like that, that's a huge deal for you, right? As opposed to just looking at it as this kind of like, oh yeah, well, now we're not really sure because you haven't responded well to meds, but you know, and just okay, fine, bye. You know, like this kind of like yeah. very like in unhumane kind of conversation. And it's like you both win when you get to have a better conversation, right? When you get to have a conversation of mutual respect and and you know, um, and I think it was really wise that you um, it's really in your best interest to have a good relationship with the provider and, and your healthcare providers. And, you know, a lot of times we can get, there are definitely cases where people need to quote unquote fire their doctor. I'm not, you know, going to say that that's never appropriate. It definitely can be, but sometimes because we feel so 
as a patient, you are not in the power position, right? To they, the, at the end of the day, no matter how strong the partnership is, um, the, the doctor has the power to write a prescription. You don't have that power. You, you know, so, um, it's, it, oh, sorry. I was, I had like five different thoughts, but what there's, it, it's in your best interest to have um, a great relationship with them. And, oh yeah, because you don't have power often as, as a patient, you can feel like I'm going to assert my power by firing you as my provider. And it feels good in the moment. And again, it is a hundred percent necessary. In some cases, there are providers that are not good, that are not a good fit for you or just not competent or not caring. And, but, uh, if you have one, only a, a smaller kind of battery, bad appointment, it, there's also the possibility that you'll actually get what you want by repairing that relationship, as opposed to throwing out all that background relationship that you had with them and starting from scratch. Um, so, um, again, I mean, there's so much, one of the best things about social media is that we can encourage each other and support each other and, you know, find community and not feel alone on just the kind of organic level of like the mass social media out there, right. Which is full of like a lot of great things, a lot of bad things. But one of the downsides is that I've seen is sometimes there are people who are like, you need to fire that doctor. You need to, da, 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 da. and it's like, Ooh, wait, slow down a little bit. Um, again, because, and I'm not saying that in a way, because like, it's not nice to do that. I'm saying that because you might get what you want by staying with that doctor. Um, there's a possible, that's a you know, possibility anyway. So longer way of saying what you just said in a way <laughs> no but yeah exactly like you yeah because sometimes it feels so good to fire your doctor but then yeah. you will have to start from scratch again and and sometimes it's the only solution as you say but sometimes is is communication is the key yeah and sometimes is just with communicating well you can achieve what you need so, yeah. Yeah. And I think, you know, um, starting from a point of curiosity, you know, I think that's in that book of like mm -hmm. the seven habits of highly effective people, like be curious. Like I'm curious, like when you said this, it felt like this, is that what you meant? Because, mm -hmm. and that's a good kind of conflict resolution skill in general, because often there's like a, a double, like there's something your paths are getting crossed, you know, like, for example, I've seen, again, this is maybe going on a tangent about social media, but I've seen people say, well, the doctor didn't diagnose me. So they suck or whatever. And it's like, well, maybe they're because an accurate diagnosis is really important. Um, then they're saying, I, I want to, I want the best for you. And I don't think that your symptoms meet the criteria let's say for an inflammatory arthritis diagnosis. And I took a vow to first do no harm. And if I give you methotrexate, I could potentially do harm if that's not what your body needs right now. Right. Um, and I think we are like, if what I, we have an idea as a patient, this is what I need. I need the diagnosis. I need the meds. I need the treatment. I need the validation, but the doctor might be like, I want to give them what they need. And what they need is they need a referral to another specialist to make sure that this is the right thing for them. But I've seen people say, oh, they just passed me off to another specialist. Like they don't want to deal with me anymore. But actually pa passing you another specialist could be a sign of 
respecting that specialist authority. Do you know what I mean? Like it's all like this perception game, you know? And so, um, starting with curiosity rather than judgment on both parts, on the doctor's part, not judging us thinking that we're hypochondriacs or whatnot. And then on our part, understanding that maybe the doctor does have your best interests at heart. And maybe what you think is the goal of this appointment is not what's actually in your best interest. <sighs> yeah, exactly. Yeah. <laughs> is that one long it's, sentence? It's, <laughs> yeah. And as humans, like we, we, or we, we have negative thoughts, like it is, is in our nature thing to have to have these movies of like the, the worst case scenario always. Yes. Uh, but yeah as you say curiosity and like not judgmental I mean like okay this is what I received but maybe what she was saying is completely different or maybe I need to yeah it's just yeah just not to to try not to have all those negative thoughts is is definitely helpful yeah assuming positive intent you know and you can actually end up like kill them killing them with kindness sometimes be like I'm sorry. Like, I know you probably like were, you know, that ABC, you know, you were probably trying to do like this amazing thing, but I, I'm feeling really confused and I'm sorry. Like kind of like, and again, that's my personality to be a little more like, um, you know, deaf, what's the thing like deferential at times, which is weird. Cause I'm also like a fierce advocate, but anyway, um, you know, but I'm like, I find it's in my favor to be deferential sometimes to say like, I know that you already explained this, but can you tell me again, like, why do I need to fail this medicine before starting the biologic or something, you know, like saying kind of like, not in a, not in a confrontational way in a more like, can you just explain this to me? Um, you might get more bang for your buck. Yeah. Is that an American yeah. phrase? More bang for your buck? Or yeah, just... so, yeah. Oh, okay. Yeah, more, more stuff for your stuff. I don't know. <laughs> yeah. More, uh, better outcome for smaller amount of effort, <laughs> yeah. but okay. Now we're going to talk about being a chef because, you know, um, people have to cook even if they're not chefs, but you know, so people do, you know, kitchen life hacks is like, I would consider like the low hanging fruit for me. Like when I make videos, it's like, it's one that in the sense that everyone is asking about this and everyone wants information. Like cutting with knives, holding a fork, like you said, so many fine motor skills and small hand skills involved. Um, what are some of the things that have helped you maybe work around strategies or gadgets? Throw it out. <laughs> um, uh, so I did, I did see a hand therapist because I was struggling quite a lot um, at work. And what was very helpful um, was kind of using your hands rather than your fingers to hold stuff. And if you're carrying a pot with both hands, um, knives, I still use my knife because uh, it's just, yeah, for a chef, it's difficult to <laughs> um, Yeah. But I am in a very good position that I am the head chef, so I can tell others what to do in a way. So, because there are certain things that I really struggle in doing now, so like filleting a fish or uh, like burning a chicken is something that I really like and I just mm-hmm. can't do. Um, the rest of the team does it. Uh, and so, yeah, I think, um, yeah, using both hands, 
trying to get breaks um, mm. as much sometimes as just impossible. But um, I mean, I did change um, restaurants. Um, I'm working now in a place which is um, not as busy and we only work daytime. So I did make those changes because otherwise it wouldn't have been sustainable. Because realistically, working as a chef, it, it doesn't go with living a healthy life. It's, yeah. it's very difficult to have both because yeah. you are kind of cooking when you should have, you know, your lunch or your dinner. Yeah. Um, you're on your feet for many hours you're carrying weights and so yeah it's quite it's quite tough but you can adjust and now I'm adjusting even more by reducing my hours mm-hmm. and because luckily I work in a company that kind of understands and is very supportive on that side um but yeah I think um yeah cooking in general like I love cooking when I'm at home as well. Sometimes it's difficult, you know, especially when after a day's work, uh, it's difficult for everyone to yeah. you know, cook from scratch and um, right. get the whole food. And But I do try. And what I do sometimes when I have more energy, like I cook, I don't know, I have a big batch of kale or I have, so I cook the whole batch and then I use it for different um, recipes throughout the week mm-hmm. um so yeah cooking a whole cauliflower and again using it for a few dis- different recipes so I got it for the next few days um that really helps yeah I had actually another um uh person living in London um Emily the arthritis foodie she she shared like her tips and that was one of hers too for energy conservation and joint production you know definitely batch cooking ahead of time freezing mm-hmm. things you know, and I'm curious if you ever, um, like choose what you're going to eat based on it being easier to make. Cause I definitely do that. Do you know what I mean? Like, um, like you were saying filleting fish is hard. So like, do you have less fish because of that? Or do you just delegate the filleting or, you know, do you, do you alter what you're going to eat based on how easy it is to make? Yeah, absolutely. And I have my partner at home, he's my sous chef and he does all the chopping. And <laughs> yeah. Oh, that's and great. Slicing. Yeah, it's really yeah. good. And um, but yeah, I I like food is a massive uh, part of my life, uh, and not just because of work. But um, I realize it makes such a difference on how I feel. Mm-hmm. Um, so I do. I am gluten and lactose intolerant as well. So I oh. do have a gluten free and lactose free diet. Um, we. We eat mainly plant-based, but not mm. just. Um, so I, I love fish, and there's actually a fishmonger uh, close to us, and they do the filleting. So I buy fillets. Nice. I usually buy, like, mackerel, salmon, because um, also, like, it's kind of a cheaper uh, cheaper kind of fish, so it's more accessible mm. to everybody. Um, and, yeah, also, like, frozen things. Um, yeah. I think... I don't know if it's a general thing, but always just a chef thing that you shouldn't buy frozen food. Yeah. Um, but in reality, like, it's, it's, it's good. Like, chopped frozen um, veggies, um, frozen fruits are actually really good. And it's just so easy to, mm. to cook with them. And they retain, you know, all the flavour 
all the freshness. So yeah. Oh, that's really good. Yeah. I, I started um, making smoothies with um, frozen spinach. So it's already comes, it comes like in like one big giant congealed thing. So then I have to like kind of thought a little bit and then I put it in little, I, I learned this from, I think, Christina, the arthritis dietitian on online. Um, she's also been on the podcast before a couple of times, but um, where you put like, you pre-measure out, you know, some frozen, you know, app or uh, strawberries, banana, you know, and then the spinach put it together. And then all you have to do is dump that in with like a little bit of like, I try to get like, I try, I mean, I'm trying to make it really basic, right. To be like, I need carbohydrates, fat protein, and then some, you know, vitamin mineral stuff. So I'm like, okay, if it just has fruit and spinach, I got to add a little bit of some sort of fat and protein too. So then I add like some um, protein powder and almond milk, and then like some like almond butter or something. I like nuts. I don't know about you, but you must have to have nuts with being plant-based I'm guessing, or. Yeah. I love, I love nuts. I love nuts, seeds, legumes. And yes, we sometimes also have this like clean eating for a week. Mm -hmm. So we do like smoothie in the morning. um, And then we do like a vegetable smoothie at lunch. And then at, at dinner, we have like um, grains, which can be quinoa, buckwheat, millets, um, with veggies, with some protein. So lentils. I love millet. Sorry. I love it. So good. Yeah. <laughs> Chickpeas. So, and some nuts and seed on top as well. And a nice dressing. Um, I love extra virgin olive oil. I think me too. Italy, so, <laughs> oh, but you're from Italy, <laughs> so you must have like the real thing. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, I need that in my life. And 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 there are studies that is actually really good for you. So yeah. Um, yeah. Yeah, definitely. Like I have that. And yeah, avocado, I really like. Oh. So yeah, when I do when we do those cleaning things, mm-hmm. like the first you do the first two days, like super grumpy, headaches. But apparently it means that it's working and oh. then yeah and then because your your body's like what's going on Where's my right right yeah and stuff? um but yeah apparently it's, yeah it's normal and then kind of gets better and you feel more energized um less pain right, usually right. as well it's kind um, of like I think sometimes yeah, it works like, for me. oh sorry I was thinking about so, like yeah, how- no, certain things like a massage, like they actually, you might feel temporarily worse, but long-term better because it's like, they're kind of waking up different, you know, things and releasing different things that have been kind of just sitting in your fascia or in your muscles or whatnot. So, sorry. I just thought, yeah, I think that it is, that's, what's really hard. Again, we get into that ambiguity and the uncertainty territory, which is like my main anxiety trigger, right. Is anxiety is ambiguity. Like what's, I'm not sure what to do. And then uncertainty, like, I'm not sure how long this is going to last or, you know, um, plus small spaces. If you put all those three together, it's terrible, but anyway, but, um, you have to learn like, okay, well then some triggers, like for me being out in the sun, it right away leads to fatigue and right away leads to like me feeling badly. But other times you can do an action that actually makes you feel a little bit worse temporarily, but then long-term way better. I'm like, it's hard. It's hard to figure out when do you take that data and be like, oh, I need to stop this thing. This made me worse versus I need to stay with it. Anyway, do you struggle with that too? <laughs> it's okay if you don't. Yeah. <laughs> 
No, I mean, luckily, like, with food, luckily, I I think because my body, like, really tells me if certain mm. food is not good for me. Right. So, That's like, good. for years, I had gluten, and I, I, I was feeling very bad. So, um, and I can't have junk food. I can't have um, deep fried. So I, I've mm. always had, like, quite a healthy uh, diet. Mm-hmm. Um, but, you know, I do have sometimes takeaway and because if I'm lazy and I don't want to cook, you know, we all have, we all need comfort in our life. So. Oh my gosh. You um, know, I needed to ask you because my, or offline, but my favorite food is Thai food and Vietnamese food. I guess food, foods, plural, because those are totally different. But um, I have tried on my own, totally just muddling through trying to make certain things like peanut sauce. And I'm like, this is so far from what it tastes like at the restaurant. Like, I don't know what I'm doing wrong, <laughs> but, um, but anyway, it is, uh, yeah, it, I've heard and read that, um, a lot of times the restaurant food tastes can taste a little, or the takeaway foods and I'm fast food, it tastes better. Cause they put a whole bunch of, you know, I'm not saying that your restaurant food's yeah. not good, but you know, that yeah. you maybe they put a lot of extra, you know, um sugar butter salts or stuff that's not quite as healthy as you know making it on your own but um, I'm like I really want to just learn how to make you know pad thai um and have it taste good or like I tom ka tom ka guy soup like the coconut soup mm-hmm. I even went and bought um oh, so yeah it's so good I'm always craving that anyway sorry <laughs> so I know <laughs> but yeah but food is one of the most common questions people ask too there's the life hacks how do I decrease the hand pain and then there's, you know, is, is diet something that's, or, you know, diet, not as a special diet, but, you know, is nutrition something that can actually help? And so it sounds like in your case, it clearly has, has had an effect that you can feel. So you're saying you have reactions to foods, like, is it in your joints and just systemically? Like, I know I get really bloated if I have had gluten or dairy, like it's beyond just the arthritis part. Is that the same for you yeah 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 so I get really bloated and yeah just got um got wide yeah yeah I don't feel good at all but also in the joints like it definitely brings flares and um especially deep and alcohol as well mm. I basically stopped drinking mm. um you know I have the occasion maybe once a month if we go if there's something going on but yeah it just I feel so awful the next day even if I have only one drink I just feel I've very never terrible. liked alcohol too yeah my body just doesn't like alcohol like anyway yeah it's interesting yeah. like sometimes your body kind of tells you what it what it needs other times it yeah, doesn't though. Think- before before <laughs> I went gluten-free I think the gluten reaction for me was a very slow one and because I had it every single mm-hmm. darn day I was like, no, I have no problem with like crackers and bread and cereals. It wasn't until I tried eliminating it that I was like, oh my gosh, like I feel so much better. Like overall, like I didn't know I was bloated all the time. It didn't really affect my rheumatoid arthritis, like in a linear way that I could tell, but like mm-hmm. my overall health and, and sense of bloating and sense of digestion, like I'm actually absorbing foods and nutrients, you know? So anyway, um, you know, sometimes your body t- and long, long story short, sometimes your body tells you other times your body doesn't. Cause I think my body was, or my body, maybe it, it, well, it, sorry, it was telling me, but it was telling me in a way that I was still kind of comfortable enough that I could push through. And then <laughs> once I eliminated that, I was like, Oh, what I thought was normal was not normal. <laughs> 
Yeah, I think it's more say, okay, that's how it's actually how it is. Because yeah. imagine me growing up in Italy, you know, pasta, bread, pizza, yeah, literally yeah. every day. So, but even when I go back home, because my family lives there, like they don't believe in gluten intolerance. Like it's, it's not a thing. Like, well, what is, you, if you can't have pasta, you can't, no, that's, oh, that's no. crazy. So not everybody, but it's just, you know, I was like, yeah, it's, it is a thing, actually. Yeah, I, yeah. But yeah, it's just so much in the culture. You know, you have to have pasta. You have to have pizza. That totally. Is, is, it's just like, no, this is not real yet. It's not, it's not a thing. Like, okay, yeah, Sean, uh, can I have some veggies, please? <laughs> I know. Oh, my gosh. Oh, my gosh. Well, I have heard that some regions of Italy, and this is just something I read online, but some regions are really good about providing gluten-free options nowadays but maybe that was a it, it is thing. oh okay <laughs> it is changing I have yeah I must say because um in especially the recent years there are more and more people in with celiac disease as well mm-hmm. um so actually the government gives um money to celiac people to buy gluten-free food because it's very very expensive um ah, so it yeah, gives yeah. like little yeah, bonus cards to, to buy gluten-free Oh, so it is changing, but like in the common, you know, yeah, it's it's like nah, you have to have your pizza. It's just good for you. But oh, yeah, so it is definitely changing. <laughs> oh my gosh! Well, this is so fun. I want to talk to you more about food, but I want to actually, <laughs> um, just for sake of time, I'm going to start this new segment I've decided on about on like rapid fire questions. Well, and one of them is one I've asked all, everyone in the past too, but then I'm going to ask some more um, kind of quicker questions, but what, firstly, what are some, what do you like to say to newly diagnosed patients or what's like a piece of wisdom or advice you would give to somebody who like just mm-hmm. yesterday got diagnosed with psoriatic arthritis and is like, what is my life now? I think definitely join a support group. Do you real go to real guys? Like, <laughs> I didn't pay her to say that. Not, <laughs> yeah, I'm, I'm not advertising, but no, I think you know it's so easy to get caught up in your Google search and and yes, yeah, just seeing the data and seeing you know what it is, what are the symptoms, uh, what's the treatment, and but is is so much more. So yeah, I think creating a community with social media, with a support group is is something that helped me very much. And that's awesome. Sorry, changing your yeah, changing your priorities as well. You know, when you I changed my priority for me before this, it was work, like my priority was work. Mm -hmm. There was nothing else in my world. And you know, my body, my my both my mental and my physical um, health came after or didn't come at all like mm. <laughs> many years so yeah change your priorities if you can obviously and do something that you really like and that makes you feel good and you know it is a time that you feel lonely and yeah definitely creating a community where you can share and where you can hear other people's stories is massively important I think I'm so I'm glad to hear that <laughs> now, what is your favorite arthritis gadget or tool in your toolbox mm, my gloves 
Gloves. Yes. I love my gloves. Compression yeah, gloves um, for the win. Yeah, that's really good. And yeah, what else? Yeah, my meditation. Yeah. Yeah. yeah meditation that's primary for yeah. me, at least. Mm-hmm. And then this doesn't have to be about arthritis, but what's something that's bringing you joy right now? Um, what's bringing me joy? So I'm going to start a new course in actually a couple of weeks. So oh. I'm going to do a nutrition course. Ooh. So that is bringing me a lot of joy. It's, it's something that I've always been interested in because it's kind of the science behind food and and now even even more like it's, it's very interesting for me to understand you know how nutrition can help and uh, with health uh, so I'm going to start that and it's also about giving time for myself for my own interests and for you know hobbies and yeah that's so that right now is yeah I'm having a sense of purpose to something to learn that's so key and do you have a favorite book or show or movie you've read or watched recently? Um, so I'm reading uh, The Brain Changer oh. by uh, Felice Jacka, I think. Yeah. Okay. So she's a professor in Australia and it's basically about her research um, on how food affects not only physical health but mental health as well mm. and it's super interesting um because I was actually listening to a podcast um of uh, the doctor's kitchen oh so yes he's, I've uh, heard of that yeah, mm-hmm. yeah so he's a um, general practitioner in the UK and in the years he realized how food was important uh, for health mm-hmm. so he had um uh, Felice Jacket in uh, as a guest in the podcast and so she was explaining you know her research and everything and it was like very interesting and um and it's not like heavy reading it's quite light like she 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 writes really well and nice in a very you know she explains well and it's quite everybody can understand like I don't have a science background so um right, right, and it's right. just very fascinating about you know how research is done and how data and how all the variables can change mm-hmm. assessing outcomes. So yeah, that was, yeah, definitely is a good one. That's awesome. And then, okay, back to the arthritis topic too, but I mean that, that related to, but um, this is a hard one to answer. So it's very broad, but what does it mean to, for you? What does it mean to live a good life with rheumatic disease? Well, I know. <laughs> What's the meaning of life while you're at it? No. <laughs> um, ooh, uh, I think having a good balance. Um, so again, I said this already. So changing my priorities and yeah. thinking about myself more. Um, mm. being more compassionate for myself, being well, actually being I've never been compassionate or kind to myself. So being actually mm. learn how to be compassionate and how to be kind. And I've actually learned so much. And I'm 
it gave me the opportunity to to learn uh, different things and um, be interested and be curious in new things. So yeah, I think yeah, living with arthritis means always be curious. You know, do your research, but make sure you use good research be, oh I'm, um, I'm trying I'm condensing this I'm like be compassionately curious <laughs> curious and compassionate I love I love that yeah I thought I was self-compassionate before I learned I was like why is everyone talking about self-compassion like it's this new thing like all you have to do is just love yourself or whatever but I'm like you can love yourself without being like compassionate to yourself on a minute by minute basis right like I had good self-esteem, but I realized I had this running commentary in my head of like, that's not good enough, you know, and that's totally from my own self-criticism. It's not from anything in my childhood or anything because I was always given like so much encouragement and stuff. But anyway, it's just been really interesting to be like, um, you know, and I'm teaching this to my son as well of like, is there a different way of looking at that? Not saying like, I'm right and you're wrong, but like, you know, um, <laughs> I'm, I, I, I hope he's okay if, he this being out there but I'll think later if I'm going to delete it but he said um <laughs> we I was coaching his soccer team and on Saturday it was really hot unusually hot here and it was smoky so it was pretty miserable and oh. was a 12 o'clock noon game I'm sitting there with my rain umbrella providing shade to myself and then we were we were winning three to two and then we retired with other teams scored and he goes we have to win. If we don't win, all of this suffering in the sun will be for nothing. <laughs> I was like, he said the quiet part out loud. Like we, I'm sure many of us were thinking that, but also is there a different way of looking at it? You know, <laughs> it was just really funny because I mean, but I mean, oh, the self-compassion so is more about, yeah, I know we didn't end up winning, but then, you know, if we had lost, it probably would have been like, you know, um, a different story, but, but, you know, I, I see in his self-assessment, again, like we talked earlier in the groups or in social settings, you can see other people's, you know, their self-assessment, their self-compassion or lack thereof easier than you can see it in yourself. And, you, you know, saying, oh, you know, I hear you saying that you are terrible at soccer because you missed one tackle you know, is there another way of looking at that missing one tackle, you know, trying to say it in a, and it's actually goes better when, I mean, I'm not saying I'm an amazing, I'm amazing. I didn't, I didn't necessarily get through to him. Um, but, um, but in the, in the case there, there's been cases where it's like, we're very hard on ourselves, you know, and just thinking, is there a different way of looking at it is, is helpful. So <laughs> yeah, um, it, it's so easy to beat yourself up and yeah. And yeah, we just, I think living with a fright just means, you know, letting it go and just be kind to yourself and, and taking moments for yourself. And if you, you don't always have to go, 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 go. There, there are times where you can, it's fine to stay in bed all day and, and just, and just be and just watch silly stuff on Netflix is absolutely fine. Oh yeah. I just binged severance, the show on Apple TV plus it's really good. It's so good. And yeah, I was like, I deserve this. <laughs> I deserve this break, but thank you so much. Is there anything else um, you would want to share before we complete this wrapping up? Um, no, I think, no, it was amazing. Yeah. 
yeah it was really good to be able to share my story yeah I'm thank you so much and I, I was thinking like I if I renamed the podcast it would be like arthritis life stories you know <laughs> um because it's like that is kind of what we're doing right we're all we are you know sharing people's life stories and um and then I'm like sprinkling in little pieces of wisdom or attempting to so and where can people find you online if they want to follow up and ask you about maybe there's a chef listening who's like oh how does she do it you know <laughs> yeah so uh again as I said I I didn't have social media for a few years but just recently literally two weeks ago yeah I decided to to create this profile on Instagram which is called Arthritis Chef and it's again just because I realized how important it is to share because it was so helpful for me and I just yeah I want to share my story and hopefully I'm I'm setting up a blog as well uh, which is going to be connected to the profile and just kind of sharing recipes tips and also like since I'm going to do this nutrition course hopefully I'm going to learn you know very useful and interesting things um so yeah I'll try to share on, on Instagram I'm there I love your I mean of course I'm biased because it's it's like a similar graphic style to mine but I love the logo Kate Kate personal chef it's so cute yeah and and my partner he's a professional photographer I was gonna say okay who takes your photos because this is magazine worthy yeah you guys have to watch I'm so lucky yeah so it's personal chef Kate at dot wordpress.com so I'm gonna put that on on there too yeah, yeah, I'm gonna do a new. Um, I'm gonna probably because this is chef work. Um, but yeah, all the images from there are my partner. Yeah. Oh my gosh, you make me want to eat vegetables, <laughs> which is hard to do. I, I am very like I have a protein and carb kind of constant cravings for protein and carbs, mm. not as much for like nutrients <laughs> but hey you just gotta hide the vegetables and the carbs and then that's good yeah oh my gosh is that a meringue okay so i'm gonna stop looking at this because we gotta wrap it up but thank you thank you so so much um oh are your your headphones lost power we talked for so long all right thank you oh i'm here are you still here Sorry, can you hear me? I can hear you. Yeah. Sorry, my headphones. I think sorry. Oh, that's okay. Ah, okay, I'm back. Sorry about that. <laughs> nice. Okay. No, um, I mean, we were just, I was just saying your website's amazing, but thank you so much. And yeah, everyone check out her Instagram at um arthritis chef. I'm I can't believe you got that your or that name that's awesome <laughs> i would have thought someone else maybe would have snagged it up and um and if you have any questions for either of us you know you can um go ahead and comment on on the instagram show page for this episode or in email me at info at my arthritislife.net but thank you so much kate i really appreciate chatting with you thanks <laughs> Thank you so much for listening to another episode of the Arthritis Life Podcast. This episode is brought to you by Room to Thrive, an educational program I created from scratch to help you go from overwhelmed to confident, supported, and connected in a matter of weeks. 
You can go through the pre-recorded course on your own, or you can take the course along with a support group. Learn more at the link in my show notes, or you can always go to www.myarthritislife.net. And if you like this podcast, I would be so honored if you took the time to rate and review it. I also encourage you to share it with anyone you know who might benefit from it. I also wanted to remind you that you can find full transcripts, videos, and detailed show notes with hyperlinks for each episode on my website, www.myarthritislife.net. If you have any ideas for future episodes, or if you want to share your story or wisdom on the podcast, just shoot me an email at info at myarthritislife.net. I can't wait to hear from you. 